I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Phil Wolf of the Nefris Initiative. And you're listening to Snakes and Stogies. The only podcast dedicated to fine tobacco. All things reptile related. And the people who love them. As part of the Herpeticulture Network. Ignition. Blast off. Hello. Hello. <laughs> What's going on, y'all? <sighs> 16 minutes I'm of sigh. Trying to change my playlist real quick. Uh, anyway, as Jackie <laughs> does that, this is Snakes and Stogies episode 149. My name is Phil Wolf, and as always, I'm joined by the illustrious Mr. Justin Smith, also known as the Smitty. And tonight's beautiful broadcast is brought to you by the fine people of the Pacific Northwest, the Puget Sound Pythons, as well as the finest of cage artisans, enclosure craftsmen people, blackboxcages.com. You good now, Smitty? No. Okay, wait. He looks like he's pinching one. <laughs> oh, nope. Nope. We're good. We're good. We're, we're good. here. All right. We're here. Black Box Cages. Phenomenal stuff. Um, Dan Fox, uh, who sort of watches the show and follows us and stuff, he recently got a Black Box, and, and he's been posting about uh he put a panther Ovis in there and he seems to really like it it looks really good so nice keep them keep the videos and pictures coming because i like to see how people set theirs up so i um i actually have i have pictures and video that i forgot to send you because i was going to show it last week when i got them um so i'm just going to send you the uh the two foot the xt2 with the lights and hold on let me Excuse me. Yeah, while you I didn't. Whip you this didn't out. even. You didn't even send me those. Like without, like when we weren't recording. I never. Even I know. I know. I messed that up. So let me pull this out of my hat. Hold on. Facebook Messenger. All right. You're woefully ill prepared. Uh, story <laughs> of my life, man. Story of my life. <laughs> Why is it not? Oh, I know why. I open the program. Usually. Usually. <clears throat> so, yeah, so I got my I got three XT2s from Black Box. And they came fantastically packed. Um, I have photos. Hang on. Where the hell is this photo? There we go. So check out them apples. Whoa, so, that's a cool case. Yeah, man. And uh, so no, oh, he froze. It's deeper than it than I thought it would be. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Yeah, it's a really cool case, though. Oh, PVC too. That's sick. I like that. Yeah. What's the well, call? It's always tough because, like, you you read dimensions, but until you sort of see it in front of you, it's hard to, like, fully picture, you know, like, length and height and stuff we can get, but depth, it seems like it's always yeah, yeah, always tough. 
Uh, the XT twos. Look it up. Bill, are you back yet, or is he gone? Gone. XT2s. Those are 225 right now. And if you get one, use the code THN at checkout. Get 10% off. And uh, get you something nice. Get you something good. Phil's already having issues. <laughs> yeah, so this week, he was having issues last week. He was... Struggling. Yeah, um, I'm reading the comments right now. They're like, "What happened to him last week?" Yeah, yeah, he just internet issues, and like work ended up calling him and things to deal with. But um, we are joined here tonight by Mr. Eddie of Father Blue on Instagram, on, as well he's known as, and uh, BioWorks. Uh, here to talk about some some Blue Tree monitors and some of the awesome uh, 3D printed stuff he's doing. Hopefully that's the plan. I would love yeah. to talk to you guys about this stuff. Yeah. So we um blue tree monitors. Um I mean that's obviously sort of one of those species that a ton of people want and the supply can't really match the demand. And then they've always from from what I've read and seen, uh imports sort of like I guess the same with, with the green tree monitors and stuff like that it seems to be pretty tough um to be sort of successful with long term um but what was sort of your sort of introduction into that species and why why those in particular well that, that's funny um i i did start off uh the kind of like normal course with the imports and everything like that and i guess i had my own experience with monitors i've always been keeping monitors since i was a little kid um i was kind of introduced to them early on in the youtube days where uh where Savannah monitors was like all the craze and see people have them and they would like keep a little heat lamp hanging from their house, but everyone had them like running around their house and they were like cats and dogs. And so I was early on in that and um, and got, got into Savannah monitors, grew out of it really quickly, but I built the big enclosures, everything, I had everything going fine for them. And um, uh, that was back when I was at back home living with my parents in, in Washington, DC, where I'm originally from. Fast forward, I moved to New York and I wanted something a little bit cooler, and I got introduced into black-headed monitors, which mm -hmm. are, in a, are like a boreal, semi-boreal, you know, branded from uh, Australia. And those are really cool. I love them. I worked with them for a couple of years. I had like a group of six of them before like the spike in those guys got up. Like I was getting blackhead monitors for like 320 bucks out here yeah. at, a, at, a, at our uh, New York show uh, before. Now they're like $1,200 each. Um, and then I wanted something a little bit bigger. I moved out of that. I moved into a bigger place. I want something a little bigger. Uh, and I had the, oh, what's up, dude? <laughs> Back here. <laughs> Get it yeah. together, Wolf. My God. <laughs> I thought you were a professional. I know. I know. Oh, geez. Well, like I was saying, I, I got into, I, I moved into a bigger space and uh, I had an opportunity where someone had uh, posted a tree monitor for sale, blue tree, pair of blue tree monitors for sale on Fauna Classifieds. And I'd never seen them for sale ever in my life up until that point. Um, and it was this cool dude, Ian, from, uh, I think it was like Georgia Exotics or something like that at the time. He worked out with me. He gave me a payment plan. I got everything ready, and I got my first pair of Blue Tree monitors three years ago on my birthday. And, um, and that was it, man. I fell in love with them, to be honest. But they were imports. They were hard to manage. 
I learned so much from that, from those those starter animals. And um, now I'm, I've been successful, man. I, I would say like 99% of my uh, collection, except for one, is imported animals that I had to treat, I had to work with, I had to make sure that they were hydrated and, and eating uh, to establish them. You know, they're not an easy monitor to work yeah. with if you don't have the experience. Once you do have the experience, or if you go with a captive bred animal, bro, they're like one of the coolest animals to work with. I wouldn't say they're hard at all. It's when you're dealing with the imports that could be filled with riddled with parasites and they want to hide all day and they want to bite yeah. you when you pick them. Those is what make it hard to, for sure to deal with. Yeah, it's uh, like I said, it's one of those things where like you really don't see a ton of people with them success, you know, successfully long term, and then you see even less people breeding them on a regular basis. Um, yeah, yeah, just here I in the state, the least. Yeah, I know of at least five people on the top of my head that are breeding the blues. There's like a handful of people breeding greens, but it's not a lot of people for sure working. But they're growing, man. Like I see blue tree monitors are coming up everywhere. I'm seeing their, at least their face, like the pictures. There's yeah. a there's an expo out in Florida, I think, right now, where they're they're plastering a blue tree monitor as a mascot mm -hmm. for the for the reptile expo. And I'm like, okay, cool. They're 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 getting momentum. The only thing I hope I don't see is that they become like a fat animal where everyone's like, oh, I really want this right now. And then in two years, everyone's selling their blue tree monitors because they didn't realize how much space and work they take, you know? Just like just like scrubs. Yeah, exactly. We, we exactly. saw it with scrub pythons, you know. It's mm -hmm. it's a thing. Uh, how do they compare to the greens? And then, I mean, I don't, I haven't seen them in a long time. Like, are people still doing stuff with black tree monitors? Yeah, black tree monitors are around. I got a couple friends right now that have uh, black tree monitors uh, in their in their groups and everything like that. But in terms of the tree monitor journal, the blues are the biggest. They get about, I would say they get like, I would say maybe like four, five, six inches, a little bit bigger. A, a, a heftier lizard, their body and girth are a lot bigger than the, than the other Persinus or the Bacare and everything like that. So they're the biggest of the of the true of the tree monitors. In terms of disposition, I would say they're all the same. It just depends on the animal, mm -hmm. to be quite honest. You can get a very socialized, friendly animal, uh, and you can get one that, that hates you and wants to bite your bite your finger off. Like I have a tree monitor in here who I call a uh, Bubba Blue, and if I touch him, he'll he'll try to bite my finger off for sure. And then I have another monitor, a Paul, who I'll pick him up and he'll just chill on my hand like it's nothing. So it's all. It's depending on the animal, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. How see well, like I have Ackies right now. I really would like that's to get cool. some Kimberly rocks. Totally um, like too, if yeah. I had if I had more space, I'd definitely be getting getting more hardcore into, you know, the smaller species of monitors and stuff, but it's also seemed like and a lot of this stuff could be completely false. I know there's a ton of um, you know disinformation in terms of like taking care of these things just similar to like green tree pythons because you know being more of a snake guy that's kind of how i how i relate things but <clears throat> yeah um it's always from what i've seen and read it, it sounds like consistently the tree monitors be it the blacks the greens or the blues socializing them seems to be a much longer process than what you see with some of like the Australian Odatria and, and some other stuff. Is there any, any basis behind that? I would say the difference is that the, the, the Australian Odatria that we have here in the U.S., is they're all pretty much captive born, you know? And when you deal with a brand new captive born baby, you have an animal that's like, has almost a blank state, you know, right. a blank slate in terms of its life. 
And um, you got to imagine the, the 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 crazy stuff that these animals have to endure. They have to be poached. They have to be tied up by you mm-hmm. know a noose. Have you ever seen of the how they catch them? It's like yeah. this giant pole with a noose, and then they got to get stuffed in the bag, and then they got to be transported for a week or so in a plane, and they got to be held in a holding facility, and then we get it. And like that's so much trauma that could go into mm-hmm. an animal's psyche, and you know it's it's no wonder that they come in here frantic and don't want to eat and don't want to like. That's a lot. And in in particular from like most other animals, Batanta especially isn't an animal, an island that's easy to get to. You got to travel yeah. to the island by boat, you know, yeah. and that's like a, a day or two trip by boat to get there. And then you can go to the mainland to do whatever you want. So again, it's a stressful journey. And that usually is what causes these animals to be, have the reputation of being bad, flighty, very scared animals. But if you deal with a captive born baby animal, that's an animal that, again, not all of them are the same, but you'll get an, you can get an experience like Dion from Rotiliatus, who has his green tree monitor. Literally, every time he runs over the cage, it runs up his arm waiting to get some food in it. Mm-hmm. And it's so social and it's so beautiful. And it's like, that's the stuff I love to see. And I, want, I would love for all my animals to do that. But unfortunately, I play with their comfortable zones. I don't ever force any handling. I don't ever try mm-hmm. to make them do something they're not comfortable with. But kind of like to summarize all this stuff up, if you get a tree monitor and you want a tree monitor that's like calm and easy to work with, go CB, tr- get one of the, talk to one of the local U.S. breeders. If you got questions, I'm happy to plug into those guys. There's a handful of these guys that are producing babies, you know, regularly to feed our demands. And you will not regret working with a CB animal. It'll be such a delight for years to come, to be quite honest. I think the only person that I see producing them that I've paid attention to or that I follow was uh, the guy at Sundown. Yeah, Brian Susan, he's a yeah. really cool, really cool dude. Yeah, yeah, I've seen seems like he's posting pictures of uh hatchlings and stuff on a regular basis. And that makes me yeah, wonder, yeah. similar to like sort of rhino rat snakes and rough scale pythons where the availability was so limited that really only a handful of people got them, but there was nothing difficult about breeding them or keeping them. Yeah, Is it a yeah. similar scenario with these? I think it's depending on what you're able to give them and everything like that. So the breeding part, there's certain people that can breed these guys closing their eyes. Like they have mm-hmm. their, they have their, their the, parameters the dialed in. Yeah. They have the touch, they have the parameters dialed in. But if you even ask Brian Susan, Brian, when he first got into the tree monitors, it took him three years of keeping before he figured out what he needed to do to get them to breed, you know, and similar to other tree monitors, generally it takes about like a year two, two, three years to get, like proficient enough to be able to consistently breed them. Sometimes you get lucky and you'll get the odd female that'll breed the first year you put them in with a male and that's fine. But I would say it's like, it's hit or miss in terms of care. Again, as long as you're dealing with a healthy animal, they're not hard to keep. You don't need to be like missing them 24 seven and, and giving them a gourmet roaches and no, you don't need that stuff. They're, they do better on an insect diet. They do better with, you know, a higher humidity environment. They do better with like a, a mid-range, cool temperature kind of zone with a 120, 110 basking zone. Like you give them these parameters. If you have experience dealing with monitors and green tree pythons that kind of need a certain touch, you do fine with these animals. They're not an animal that like, if you look at them, breathing, them, they're going to die on you, you know? They're not hard at all yeah. in that way to keep. If you want to keep them on a different level, like say like how I am with the seven foot enclosures and this and that you can do that and they'll thrive and they won't they're not going to be mad at you for doing that they'll love it but again it takes a certain type of keeper that mm-hmm. wants to go that route and work with them but i would say no 
Would I recommend as your first monitor? It depends again on your experience with working with animals. Yeah. And as long as you have the right guidance and like the people that you can kind of like relate to, ask questions, you'll do fine, man. And there's a great support system out here in the tree monitor groups that they'll answer any questions you need. As long as you don't come in there thinking you know everything and you're willing to learn and you're willing to like kind of like, you know, just take advice from people, constructive criticism, you'll do well. You'll do well. You know, I didn't come into this. No, I didn't know. I didn't come into this knowing everything. I came into it with an open book and an open mind and here I am now, you know. It is. Yeah. It's straight up the green tree world in, in monitors. Yeah. Like everything yeah, yeah. you just said is like the exact same thing that we tell people with green trees. Like <laughs> you can start with a green tree if you want. It's not gonna like they're not really that difficult to keep, but if you start with a adult wild caught import, yeah, like you're gonna have you're gonna have problems if you don't yeah know what to what to do, you know. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> well put. So when I lost my internet just now uh did i miss like intro and like how you got into it or have we got there yet or no yeah yeah i kind of mentioned okay. a little bit about okay. how i can, yeah, I can rephrase the, it a little the cliff notes well. version is what we did. I, I just didn't know if you if you just got into great got into tree monitors as like your thing or if you worked with other you stuff know, in I, the past i've worked with monitors for the most part in terms of animals like i, I was a big boa guy for a little bit i didn't mention that but i was a big boa guy for a little bit <laughs> my first animal ever into the reptile world was a savannah monitor and uh, I got real heavy into that as a kid. Like I was like 16, 17 years old in my parents' house in our apartment in DC. And after I got my first one, I kept it in like a 10 gallon tank. And I quickly realized that like these things need massive enclosures. Yeah. I was on, I don't know if you guys uh, are, are aware of this forum that used to be around, but Reptic Zone used to have this crazy monitor page. And you would see these people build these wild elaborate enclosures for their animals. So I was like 16, 17 building six foot by three by by four foot enclosures in my home in my apartment and driving my mom fucking crazy doing that you know and uh <laughs> yeah and uh and then I, I slowly after i moved from dc i came up to new york and i started working with blackheaded monitors they were a cool little tree arboreal semi-arboreal monitor to work with but i wanted something bigger and a little bit more challenging and i got an opportunity to pick up my first blue tree monitors that i've, I've never seen them for sale up until this point i've seen them on fauna classified and I pick them up, and here we are today. You know, now I have nice. I have nine of them total in my collection. Awesome, awesome, super cool, man! And the enclosures are incredible. I mean, anybody who hasn't been to your Instagram, yeah, they, like they yeah, need I'm to. I'm about to wait, man. <laughs> yeah, see look at bit, that man, row, man. Oh, yeah, incredible. Man. Yeah, so it's, it's all all of them are, are giant, uh, kind of like they they serve different purposes. Like I have I have female I have female cages and male cages. Uh, to separate males in the in the in the breeding season and everything like that. So when females are laying, they can just have their own enclosures and everything like that. Sure. You know, and then when put together, when a male and a female enclosure is put together, it's a seven foot by seven foot by three foot enclosure. Wow! For wow. each animal, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And do you ever cohab or no? Uh, they're cohab right now because I okay. moved. Uh, yeah, so they. I have the most I've ever cohab was three animals in one cage just to see. How it reacts, but not every animal likes to be cohab. I have mm -hmm. females that if they see another female, they'll they'll hiss at them and they'll try to attack them. I have males that'll do the same to other males, but I have females that work very well with certain females. Um, it, it's just they're all different. They all have different personalities, you know. Yeah, man, takes time to work those kinks out, and yeah, you're doing it, brother. It's awesome. I'm trying, man. I'm trying, man. Awesome, awesome. So, how the name Father Blue come around? Yeah, that's funny, man. Everyone asks that. So it's a, 
it's funny. I, I have my personal Instagram page is actually called Father Garrett. And the way that came about was like, I was looking at a, like, I, I heard the story about this, the guy that was named after the state of, uh, the city of Baltimore, Maryland. And the, the, the dude's name was Lord Baltimore. And I was like, damn, that's a cool ass name, dude. Like, like how, do I yeah. become a, how do I become a Lord or something like that? And I was like, I found out, unfortunately, I'll never become a Lord, you know? So I was like, well, I, 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 in here in New York, in the street fashion scene, there was this guy going around that everyone was calling him Father Steve. And he was like a big fashion critic in the world and everything like that. I was like, damn, Father Steve sounds fucking sick too. Like, so I, call, I, I pretty much put my name on Instagram as Father Guerra. And when I ended up became, I got real big into the tree monitors. I was like, well, I'm already using it on my other Instagram. Let me use it on this Instagram and Father Blue, Blue Tree Monitors. That sounds rad, and here we are now, dude. So it's like That's cool. nothing to do with any of this stuff. It just happened chance that I was already using the name, and it, it stuck, and I like it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what's What's actually interesting is after the show, I'll send you a link. So my mom found this website. It's like a, it's an organization I think in Scotland that is about preserving like Scottish heritage and Scottish lands. So they yeah. raise money to like keep uh, these lands yeah, where yeah, yeah. you buy like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. two inches of land and because you yeah. own land you're a lord you're or a lady lord. Yeah, exactly you gotta you gotta do it man you gotta you gotta do it lord eddie you gotta do it so, yeah, that hell, that's man. cool <laughs> that's cool that's cool oh man so you've got you said nine nine adults nine adults yeah i have you a co- ratio of co- five females four males nice and uh, how many have you been successful breeding or do you have clutch chuck clutches going right now or what no so so i've had instances of breeding activity like i've caught females and males paired up and locked up and i've had instances of, of eggs laying and unfortunately every time i, I come in and they're, they're they've either been like ransacked by the males or something like that or i've lost eggs like i found remnants of eggshells and everything like that like of lost clutches so i haven't been successful as of yet this is my third year keeping the tree monitors as of January 14th this is my third year keeping them but this is my first winter with the entire group so up until a year ago I only had four of them which was like two pairs yeah. and now I have the whole four pairs and everything like that so this Excellent. year with the whole enclosures and everything that I'm doing the goal is to hopefully have every female this year paired up and laying eggs by the end of the year for sure excellent awesome very cool are you keeping anything else or are you just just have the blues currently only blue tree monitors right now i kind of um, like it's it's super hard it's very hard to be like strict on this because yeah. believe me dude i want to have every animal <laughs> i don't know how you do it man yeah man. <laughs> that's what the that's what my question is is like how yeah. the how the hell do you stay focused on on a singular thing because i mean i like there have been plenty of times where i was like you know i'm gonna focus just on chondros i'm gonna focus just on bear dreads i'm gonna focus just on ganyasoma and like i know the moment I get rid of everything but that, I'm gonna miss the other stuff. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, or yeah. I'm gonna see something else, and it's gonna creep back into the room, and then it'll just the, the floodgates will open again. So like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, the, yeah. The fact that guys like yourself, and I know plenty of others that are like laser focused on one species, man. Like, I don't know how you guys do it because as much as I'd like to with some stuff, I just I don't think I I don't think I could do it. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. I want to I want to pick up I really want to work with tricolor monitors right now. Like they're such a beautiful amazing species that super misunderstood more than the tree monitors because we got this 
We already got people breeding them, but no one's ever even bred a tricolor before. And those are beautiful animals. That, but like, again, I want to focus on this project. And I figure like, if I want to be a responsible keeper and be someone that's like a role model for like the young generation getting into this, I don't want to be someone that's just like jumps from project to project to project yeah. without being able to fully understand these animals. And I want to fully, I want to be able to say like, yeah, this is exactly what I have to do. And this is what I did to get them to breed, to have these reproductive events or these experiences to happen and this and that. And until I can like fully detailly explain how I do that, I'm not finished with this project. So that's kind of what led to like me focusing on this and not moving around. And it makes husbandry easier when you only have one species yeah. of lizard to work with. Oh yeah. The whole, the husbandry is all the same across the board. The medicines are the same. Like the, the notes are the same for the most part. So it just makes taking care of them a lot easier in that sense, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how did you go about designing the room and like the cages and everything? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I've had a blueprint already of how I built cages similar to this uh previously i had in my previous house i had uh, cages just a little uh, like a foot shorter than this but the same uh, diagram same idea and everything like this and i'm, I'm i've been like just like a a, a a natural born carpenter i guess because yeah yeah uh because i had i've had um i had uh experiences building cage to cage like every animal that I ever had i've always built the enclosure and from Building those enclosures, I learned certain skills and I, I acquired the tools. Like now I have the sure. tools to build a whole dang house if I want to now, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, from all the all the stuff that I built. So it's it's my own like designs I've been refining and refining and now it's easy to build. Like I would say all the enclosures that I have here probably cost me about like, you know, with glass, probably about like two grand or so to build this entire wow. thing. You That's know, awesome. so it's yeah, it's not expensive, but it's not cheap either, you know, mm-hmm. compared right, right. to what you could what you could build. And uh, I got blessed with the space where I have a, the basement is, is 30 foot. Uh, the wall is a 30 foot wall. And wow. so I was okay. able to fit. So the, I have eight enclosures in here, uh, not including my, uh, my uh, quarantine enclosures in my other room. I have two quarantine enclosures in the other room. Uh, and I was able to fit eight cages as long as I staggered them, one being three foot wide, the other one being four foot wide. So the male cages are three foot wide. Female cages are four foot wide. Together, they're seven foot by seven by four. But um, yeah, and I, I made sure, like, just learning from, like, past experiences. I know that, like, I like to do bioactive enclosures that have, like, with a heavy misting. I know I like to do heavy misting with my tree monitor. So I make sure that I raise my cages up. They're raised about, like, seven inches. I have a drain on every single one of them. There's a whole plumbing system on the bottom. So the water drains into these valves that I then can deposit later. I knew I wanted that. I also knew that I didn't want them touching the ground because that acts as like an insulator that, I mean, yeah. uh, it acts as like a, a heat sink that draws sure. them out of the cage and everything like yeah. that. So I didn't yeah. want that. So I wanted them lifted. Uh, I, knew I, uh, I knew I wanted them seven foot tall. I knew I, I wanted to max out the amount of space that I could in the house. So I built them six foot lifted. They're six and a half foot tall. The whole thing is about like seven and a half tall in total for the whole design. And I just wanted to make sure I cover up the entire wall. So like from one wall to the other, fully enclosed. And it looks cool. At the end of the day, when they're all done, I'll have it all finished and it'll look like it was built into the wall. You know? That's awesome. That's super cool, man. Uh, when you when you cohab them, are do you have like a removable divider between male and females or you just have the males? Yeah, so 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 right now they're not installed yet, but what's gonna happen is that because I have the three thing, but uh, the three thing, I'm gonna do these eleven inch portholes. That, okay. that are going to be in between each cage. It's going to have two per cage. 
So yep. I would just open that cap and the milk and then mm-hmm. be going to a female's cage and everything like that. But that's going to be the end goal with that. Nice. Um, our friend Brandon Valentine, he wants to know what wood did you use? Is there like a specific type of wood or just plywood or did you treat oh, the yeah. wood? So I would, if, whatever wood you can get, I would, you know, use that anything at least half inch is what I suggest. But this is a OSB, which is like the regular, like, it's like that, like, like particle board where it's not particle board, but it's like that, like, that like sheets of little pieces of wood that's like glued together. Really, really um, dense it, particle board. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it's, okay. and it's, uh, it's, uh, treated with a dry lock, which is, and I, I went over, I went, uh, I spent, I would say I spent more in dry lock than I did in wood to seal the. I believe it. I believe it. I believe <laughs> yeah. it, man. That's awesome. Yeah. I went through three five gallon buckets of, of dry lock to, to, to make sure I had like six coats per enclosure mm-hmm. plus silicone at the bottom and everything like that to make them completely water sealed because I want to have these cages for, you know, quite some time. Um, yeah. The only upgrade I'll ever make is, is probably go into like the Euro style metal enclosures with those little connectors and everything like that. Maybe one day I'll upgrade to that, but no, I, I want to make sure these last for as long as I can. So yeah, absolutely, that's awesome, awesome. Um, you'd mentioned humidity and misting and stuff, and, and having your drainage. Do you have automatic hydration systems, or are you just hand spraying, or what? So I have I have miskies installed in all my cages right now, and uh, nice. so I have a, a system that goes off like when it's like super like into like the breeding season i had it go uh i'll have it go off like five times a day and so yeah i have it go like five times a day to just humidity keep humidity like as high as i can and also just to like keep everything just very hydrated especially with the wild cocks they don't always want to drink from bowls or anything like that so you have to give them as much opportunity as you can for them to drink they're all out they're most reluctant to drink in, in these environments um and i also have my uh my feeder, my, they're like these little feeder cup ledges that I have in here that also provide a bowl of water for every animal and everything like that, you know? That's awesome. That's awesome. So then you, so you said that how everything's bioactive. Do you have like a drainage layer or do you just let it yeah. get soupy? I mean, no, how no. often do they, are they semi-aquatic at all or are they mostly just legitimately in the trees? So it depends, man. There's, it's, it's hearsay. So I've read reports from like the Bronx Zoo that shows they had reports of, uh, uh, of their blue tree monitors because I've seen the Bronx Zoo exhibit. They have like a stream that they built inside of their enclosure and they have their tree monitors like foraging through the stream to get like little, you know, food and everything like that. And so there's that instance. And then there's also an instance where I heard of, a, 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 a you know, a keeper who had fresh imported blue tree, uh, green tree monitors and they had a bowl of water inside and when the tree monitors drowned itself, you know? And so I'm oh, like, okay, yeah. Wow. I'm like, wow, that's, that's a scary thing. I've never given these guys like a big basin to, to have that much water. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've put them sometimes in the bathtub to like just wash them out and they can hydrate when I'm like cleaning up enclosures and I can't keep them in that enclosure. I put them in a bathtub to like, hydrate soak up and everything like that and they'll swim i see them they can obviously swim like an aquatic lizard in some way but again like just knowing that i there's someone that's actually had a monitor's drown that scares me enough to not want yeah. to take that risk so yeah. I, I, yeah I do the i do the misting i do the little bowls and i have friends that have pictures of their monitors sitting in little bowls and that's fine but i just i don't want the risk of an animal that might drown itself you know yeah it's not worth it man i get it yeah, yeah. that's awesome so when you're not putting them into into you know pairing mode do you simulate like are you kind of going for what a lot of guys do with carpets and stuff where like they have a 
you know, a wet season and a dry season where maybe food gets cut back at a certain time of the year, you keeping them drier at that same time. Like, do you, are so, you trying to simulate that? So I've tried all types of different simulations for breeding. I've done the, uh, the one month, two months of like low quality food, low heat, mm-hmm. and then let them like, kind of like not starve, but just lean out a lot. And then the yeah, have a the winter up and yeah, exactly. And pump the heat up and then give them a lot of, uh, I give them a lot of food and everything like that. I've done the heavy misting where it's like dry season and heavy misting and all this other stuff. I've done all those type of iterations. I've even experienced, I've even experimented with uh, keeping monitors where I have two breeding pairs in a cage that has an open screen uh, and seeing what that affects, like one breeding, what happened. That was a cool experiment. And that experiment, I, I saw that when one pair of tree monitors was breeding, whatever pheromones they were releasing caused the tree monitors next to them mm-hmm. to breed at the exact same time. Wow. So that was a really cool thing that I, that I had, I had discovered. I documented that. Um, but yeah, I do go through the entire seasons and everything like that. A friend of mine, Chris Applin, coolest guy in the world right now to me, and honestly, he's like a dream dude. Like he just went to Bentanta uh, in the last, yeah, like, I follow him. Yeah. 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 He's from the UK. He just went to Bentanta the last couple years, uh, the last couple months. And he went out there and like, during the like you know what we call our winter he said that it was just pouring you know it was like mm-hmm. it was like it would it would just the humidity was like at a hundred and the the ground it was raining not like you know it would rain periodically through the day but consistently you know yeah. so it's 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 a weird weather that 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 island has where it's like it seems to not go through like a typical dry period and it's more so like it's wet and then they're super wet and that's mm-hmm. kind of how it is on that on that island you know yeah, um, he, was so posting, to... he was posting pictures of some of the like wild persinus and stuff, wasn't he? Yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah, so yeah, he did he really saw some cool. really cool stuff. So this year I built these out to be able to kind of mimic some of the stuff he did and be able to to deal with really high rainwater and water rest. So so yeah, my 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 sustry is bioactive. It is there is a drainage layer. It's lifted about six inches into inside. No, not six. About like I'd say like three three to four inches is lifted. Then I have a, 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 a weed blocker, and then I have my bioactive substrate on top. So whatever goes through the bottom dries out pretty quickly and everything like that. So I'm able to That's miss awesome. heavy mm-hmm. and not have to deal with the boggy water. And yeah, like that. And it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's stuff that I kind of learned from, like, keeping these animals and seeing what works and what's not. And now I swear by having drains on the bottom and, mm-hmm. and, and drainage layers just when you're doing when working with these type of animals at least bulkheads make a huge difference too is like yeah, when i was doing yeah. darts man like that was always the thing i dreaded the most was having to drain that that drainage layer because i i yeah. put it like a pvc coupling in there and then i had a hose and a siphon and like yeah having to pump it out and of course it got everywhere and it was like if i just yeah. had a bulkhead where i could just turn it on and then turn it off exactly that'd, that'd that's what i have right now on each one is mm-hmm. a bulkhead with a pvc pipe that interlocked each one mm-hmm. and at the end there's an on and off valve that i can just dump all the water from all the cages at once very smart. Yeah, that's awesome. Very smart. The um, have you looked into doing any like the thunderstorm recreations, like a lot of people are doing now? That's a. I've seen that, man. I've seen that. I, yeah. I saw that Miss King also came out with like a certain system that like that simulates rain droplets. And what they did oh. is they got they they bought like it's like a plastic it's like a plastic uh container and they 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 turn their nozzles upwards. And the nozzles shoot up in this plastic container, and they collect bigger drops, and then that simulates raindrops when it comes down. Wow. So it's that's a real cool, cool system. Yeah, so it's a real cool system. So I was like, wow, that's a real cool. If you someone made something big enough on the top of an enclosure to mimic that, that would be really cool with that. 
I haven't done the, the thunderstorm yet. I have looked into it. I think it's cool. All my animals right now are on like a timer system that turns on the lights and turns them off gradually, like almost as a natural kind of like yeah. graduate, you know? So it's sure, not immediately sure. like bang on, it's, it all turns off to make it easier to mimic that type of kind of like scenario. But that would be something to look into. I haven't done it yet, yeah, but yeah, see what, I know what it does at least. I know there's a uh, several groups of individuals, both in private sector and on the scientific front, that they're trying to see if the actual noise and light of the storm, like the crash of the thunder and the flash yeah. of the lightning, if that really plays a, a, an effect to it. And I'm wondering if, yeah, it's a rainy day, but is it a thunderstorm? Like, like right, to kind of, right. you may not have the barometric pressure to simulate that drop mm -hmm. or that front coming in but at least you have the other symptoms of the storm, so to speak. I, I didn't know if that yeah. might be something to look into. I mean, it could be because you got to think about it. That could be like a, a, an onset to like, hey, this is the wet season where we're going to be the most plentiful of food. Like, yeah. we know when the thunder comes, it's time to eat, y'all. We're going to have babies. Let's have babies. Like, who knows? That could be yeah. something that could be instinctually happening in their brain. And I'm always down to like, you know, to, to experiment with the animals. Like, that's the one thing that I have the freedom of. We're having so many animals. I can do different things and see what different stuff happens between yeah. animals yeah. relative to other people. You know, if you only keep one or two, you know, it's a, so that, yeah, that, that could be something I could look into in the future, man. Very cool. What about, uh, our friend Patrick wants to know, what about UVB and UVA? All of them have UVB. I, I, awesome. I, I swear by our Arcadia. So mm -hmm. I keep Arcadia lights in every single one of my enclosures, uh, T5 bulbs, as well as I do an led full spectrum strip in the inside. Nice. Um, now I, I I've, I've looked onto the to the advanced reptile lighting page on Facebook, so I'm a big fan of that page, and I've, I've always I've always been on that. And I did the rep. I don't I I don't know the scientific benefits of the LED lights to the animals. I know they see a different spectrum than I can see, and everything like that. And it's beneficial in some way. It's beneficial to the plants for sure. And yeah. so I keep it in there just as an added measure from them. It it doesn't hurt, so I'm like, why not use it? You know. Mm -hmm. Oh man, Phil went to sleep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Imagine where we're gonna be in the next ten years in terms of technology Bro, and stuff. That's like, what I'm saying. Man. I that's feel like we're way behind the curve in terms of fish and and aquaculture and stuff in that regard. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, like I was unaware that Miss King had even come out with that. You know that. New yeah, thing. it's it's a newer system that I saw recently. But like, there's there's even forefronts like. I follow this gentleman. I wish I knew his name right now because I'd love to shout him out. But I, I follow this gentleman online on, on Instagram who's working on these crazy project boards that have a crazy sensor system that displays. It's like a hydrometer. It's also like a temperature sensor built inside. Uh, but you can connect it to Wi-Fi and it'll give you and simulate the data of any country point you yeah. want in the world. You know, and so you plug it into this chip and then you plug up your thermostat and then your thermostat will then configure itself to whatever that weather pattern is in the, in that area, I'm like, wow, this this kid is is thinking about stuff that I, I I could only imagine I would love to have here, you know, in my in my facility. So, who knows what's gonna happen, dude? Who knows? Yeah, well, you know? we've talked about how nice it would be to have something like that. I think a lot of people have, you know, the NPR guys and and us as yeah. well. Like how how cool it would be to be able to have something where it's like instead of going and regularly checking what the weather is in, in New Guinea or, you know, whatever yeah. part of Australia you might be having something to have something that maybe not necessarily in real time, but, but relative to what's going on over there, you know, 
adapt temperatures and light That'd cycles cool, and, and humidity and yeah. stuff. It'd be so cool. yeah, even even Focus Cube. They, I mean, I'm not, I don't own any of their objects, but I I've seen what they're doing. They just came out with a crazy enclosure that has like this fan system inside of it with all these temp systems, so that it, it create like they plug in whatever temp zone they want, and it makes sure that it. And it, it sprays at this time or, or releases the, the air in this time and cycles mm-hmm. the enclosure so that it keeps up this temperature. Like, that's amazing. I love seeing yeah. that tech. Like, tech is so cool, and I, I want to implement it here as much as I can to just see what happens if I can create a better environment for the animals or not, you know? Very cool. It's just going to be interesting to see where we're, where we're at, you know, like I said, inside yeah. of the next 10 years, but, I mean, even in the next Dude. five years. Like, Dude. Yeah. yeah. Wild. Or even even now, so many people are taken from the aquarium world, you know, like yeah. Odyssey lights and cycles. Well, that's what I was saying is like aquaculture is so far yeah. ahead of of every, you know, in terms of like what in similarity to what we do, you know, they're they're way ahead of the curve on that on that front. Yeah. yeah. We're only yeah. now just starting to catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Who 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 knows? Moon phases and lightning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Who knows? That could be something. Imagine if we can build something that can like mimic barometric pressure yeah. and mess around yeah. with that, dude. Like, what would that cause? You know, yeah. like, that would be crazy. I mean, and dude, you. No. Oh man. <laughs> oh wait, there he is. You're back. I was about to press the button. <laughs> All right, I'm back. Uh, it's not my night tonight, boys. Sorry. It's all good. Seems like it's tonight? not your month. Yeah, right. <laughs> Jeez. Ugh, it's all StreamYard's fault. I hope you're listening. Phil, what were you about to ask me? Uh, now I don't even remember. Um, we were talking about the lights and the moon cycles. and Oh, yeah. You were saying is your, your enclosures are in the basement, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. So you probably, if you had, I don't know how you would, you'd have to I'm sure you have to get permits and whatnot for digging up, you know, uh-huh. foundations and whatnot. But I bet you there's a way for you to pressurize to pressurize and depressurize that basement way easier oh. than someone could do in like a house. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. You know what yeah, I mean? Right, Just because right. you're already underground, you you already have a a pressure system. I mean, I'm sure it would involve some kind of fans and and probably some kind of air sealant on the door to the basement yeah. I, I don't know but yeah. that would definitely I don't be something think I would, it would take much like I'm, yeah, not not a, I'm not a i'm not a not a gynecologist or nothing but i don't think that, that you know i don't think it would take much pressure change to to trigger something you know even if yeah. it was it was minimal yeah, yeah i don't think so either. like i come from the cycling world and and in that world there's a lot of like hardcore cyclists that invest in like uh altitude chambers and they're like little tents that they'll sleep in that get pressurized so they can sleep at night with like harder pressure on their lungs so that they can go out and ride harder or faster because they're training their lungs to take in the oxygen easier so building something like that i'm sure if they if you could build a tent that does that i'm sure you could build something here that does something similar Mm -hmm. yeah that's actually brilliant that's awesome pull a vacuum in the room find the drafts yeah. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> what about uh so you have all the bioactivity and you have the drainage layers and the rain and, and the missing systems and everything what about live plants do they like, destroy them <laughs> it depends man I, i've tried so many different species of plants i've tried bird of paradise i've tried 
money plants. I've tried bamboo. I've even tried growing regular grass inside the cages and everything like that. And for the most part, the only animal, the only uh, plant that seems to survive is pothos, man. So I could put a whole lot <laughs> of pothos in there. Yeah, and yeah. that'll be fine. But they'll they rip it to shred. I've, I've actually caught them. They'll bite the they'll bite the leaves off and just throw them to the ground. Like they don't eat them. They don't really. They don't want anything to do with them. They just bite them and throw them to the ground, or they'll they'll sleep inside of them. Like they'll literally plop right on top of them, make themselves a bed because maybe it's a little bit more comfortable and sleep on top of the plants. But they don't. They 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 yeah. They they tear everything up, man. Honestly. Interesting. If I bought those, buy another one, you rich motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. And the fact that yeah. they don't eat them, you know, because you hear about yeah. certain monitor species eating, uh, eating some kind of dare I say vegetables and fruit, you know, yeah, whether it be like rotten cool, fruit, yeah. fermented and stuff. Like I think there's some people in zoos that like feed you know certain melons to them and whatnot the gray mon- monitor from Air- Air- uh, indonesia eats- oh yeah is-, is reported to eat fruit yeah yeah and i know like there's a bunch of uh obviously it's not in the same category of animal but, like i know a lot of tegus will eat like peppers and yeah. some like those are the raccoons vegetables. of the reptile world eat <laughs> that's true that's true but so you'd mentioned that they're primarily insectivory uh what are you feeding them I got, so I'm lucky enough that I breed a lot of my own bugs. So I'm able to breed my own steady supply of dubia roaches. I breed my own supply of superworms and mealworms. Uh, I keep crickets. I don't breed them. I buy crickets and feed them those as well. Um, and then I also breed grasshoppers. And so I have a big room set up for the grasshoppers um, that are giving me a continuous supply of, to feed those. And th- that's like their main staple that they love to eat. They go crazy wow. over it. I also buy like, I, I feed them a event, uh, you know, sometimes I feed them a, a, a protein-based prey. So, like, I'll feed them quail, um, dale quail, but that's the most that I'm feeding them. You know? Okay, and, and no rodents yeah. at all? I try. I stopped the rodents stuff, like, I would say four or five months ago, I stopped buying rodents for them just because okay. I was reading the, the information on how, like, how high fat the content is on that, mm-hmm. on those, you know, in, those, in the animals and um Tree monitors are so easy to have become overweight. I have an overweight monitor that's taken me like a year to slim him down to a position where he's like comfortable weight and not overly excessively fat Mm -hmm. Uh, because the males would just gobble up anything, you know? And um, so I want to prevent that. I want to, I want these animals to live a very long and healthy life. And I, and so I moved over to more of an insect uh, based diet for the most part to help with that. Um, can you feed your animals rodents and things like that? I always offer rodents to fresh imported animals if I get them in just to make sure they eat because those aren't the most quickest to want to pick up a roach that they've never seen. Right. Yeah. They'll more likely eat like a, a chick or, or they'll eat a, a, a mouse. So I keep that stuff in handy for those type of animals. But for the most part, everyone else here is eating straight up insects, you know? Have you nice. tried like quail eggs? I've never tried quail eggs because I can't, I don't know where to get them from, you know? I don't, I, I live in New York and so. It's just not the easiest product to get for me here, mm-hmm. you know. So I've, I mean, I've done regular scrambled eggs in the past, and they'll gobble yeah. that up. They love that stuff, but I keep away from it just because, like, it's first off, eggs are like ten dollars a carton now, so I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah, on the monitors. and um, and it's just I get high fat and everything like that. I rather them on a lean insect diet, and yeah. that's working for sure. me right now. Sure. I just I would assume that them being a much more arboreal species that I I. It doesn't seem that far fetched that they'd find a bird's nest and take down some eggs, no, you know, with the opportunity. No, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I had a friend of mine tell me a story last night about how he 
was introduced to the idea of them being big uh, bird nest raiders and um and how he was telling a story about how he had an animal that was hard to eat and then one of his like mentors told him like if you want your animal to eat put whatever food item you want him to eat inside of a bird's nest and watch him go crazy and he mimicked that he put a bird's nest inside his cage and put like day-old quail in it, and his animals went wild ravaging the, the, yeah. the bird's nest to get the food whatever it was they wanted to eat inside of there um so there's that theory that's behind it i've read reports though where They've like opened up like the gut, seen the gut contents of tree monitors, and out of like twenty monitors, one monitor had like a mouse inside of it. But the rest of them had yeah. all kittiedids and grasshoppers and mm-hmm. insects. So they're mainly insect eaters. I'm sure they're given the opportunity, they probably would eat birds and everything like that, but like for sure. Very cool. Very cool. And you with your newest venture that we're going to get to in a moment uh, i'm sure you have ample opportunity to simulate nests oh definitely man I have ample, <laughs> yeah yeah i could do a well, lot of cool do, stuff with this stuff. do you want that to be the segue <laughs> yeah you want for sure man That's yeah cool so piece. why don't you tell us all about bioactive works definitely man cool so bioactive works with this like side dream project that i've had that i've been working on for the past you know two or so years since i've been keeping the tree monitors and it all derived from trying to figure out problems that I was having with tree monitors and ideas that I have with tree monitors. Um, I'm a very, when it comes to my ideas, I'm very strong headed on when I find something I'm like sticks. I'm like, I, I truly believe it unless proven. Otherwise I'm going to believe that, that idea. Um, and so one of the biggest things that I've learned with tree monitors is like in the introduction of, of looking at tree monitors, the biggest thing everyone had when breeding was females either retaining eggs or reabsorbing eggs or mm-hmm. not laying eggs in the proper match fashion that they do. There's certain OGs out there that, that use like nest bins. They're like, it's a bin at the bottom with a heat pad and it has like a piece of wood on top and a hole and they'll use that. And I'm like, all right, cool. That works for you. Sure. But they're also keeping the tree monitors in like four foot high enclosures, nothing right. too big. So, so the tree monitor doesn't have, you know, much space to climb, it sees the bottom, that's its nest option, cool. That's probably why it's using it, in my opinion. Right. Now, I saw, I, I read a report in where someone had mentioned, it was like, the report's like 20 years old or something like that, and they reported seeing green tree monitor hatchlings coming out of a termite mound. And they, they so they saw like, a, it was like a couple of tree monitor babies emerging from a termite mound, and after studying the, the tree monitors, those babies stayed near the termite mound for a couple of days to eat the baby term to eat the termites as food until they went off into the wild and did what they want. Um, that's the only wow. ever report of any tree monitor of a clutch ever being found in the wild. They didn't find the eggs; they only found the babies. But that was the only report of that ever happening in the wild. There's no reports of how they lay or anything like that. Chris, when he was out there, did a lot of field research and found that these tree monitors aren't laying in the soil because the soil that he found in Batanta was hard packed clay. It was too hard for an animal like a tree monitor to go inside and dig. And to figure like with how much rain was coming down, if any animal would have laid eggs in that ground, the chances of it flooding and dying are very yeah. high. Right. Right. So, 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 so the two options that he found when talking to the locals, he said, they think that they find they're finding eggs inside of like hollow trees. Mm-hmm or the termites. So those are the two plausible scenarios and so where they're laying eggs. And so that's been the forefront of the entire bioactiverse. For long story short, I've been wanting to mimic the style of lay, egg laying or borrow egg laying for these tree monitors. And so it pushed me onto this design of like 
making a nest box that mimics a tree, mo a tree monitor termite mound to see if I can have my animals reproduce in a semi-natural way. Uh, and, and that came to design of something like this. So this is, this is like a prototype of the first nest box that I wanted to do. And it's, so it, it, it's, it's patterned and everything like that. And I have entry holes for the animal to go into and lay. But the idea is that you pack it full of dirt and the tree monitor has its entry to lay inside and it lays inside the egg and it's protected and everything like that. Uh, the reason why I, I, I highly believe tree monitors are laying in termite mounds is because when you think about the composition of a termite mound, termites, for the most part, are only eating organic matter like wood, like decaying plants and everything like that. They're not necessarily going out eating like carrion or, or, or protein right. or anything like that, right? And so if you were to break a termite mound, you know, and, and dig a hole in it, the first thing the termite is going to do is going to repair that hole. Right, they're gonna repair that hole because there's, there's a breach in the hole, and and they're gonna repair and fix it. And when you think about like all that movement from all those animals inside of there moving inside of this thing, that's creating heat that's perfectly mm -hmm. sealed inside its own ecosystem. And so, if something like a tree monitor were to lay, it has the perfect incubator, natural incubator that it can lay eggs in, and they're gonna be protected by any wild animals, you know, for the oh, most yeah. part. So that's where this whole led to. So this is the first iteration of it, the first prototype. That's so led if, me on a journey to build if it. I may, not not to interrupt you, but for those of you driving to work listening to this, so Eddie's holding a a uh, an ostrich size egg, you know, basically a, a xenomorph pop out of. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's basically an, an ostrich an ostrich egg, and it has multiple entry holes like you'd see on a bird's nest, but it also has almost like a Swiss cheese kind of honeycomb patterning to the outside to give it texture, and. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. for aesthetics. That that's it. Yeah. But that so that that's the prototype that led on to making uh, the final. This is still a prototype, but it's what what's the final version of it's gonna be? Which is a uh, uh, this is one of the the models. This is a twenty one wow. inch. It's a twenty one inch uh, 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 you know tree monitor uh, arboreal nest that I've been building, uh, and so it's an arboreal nest for any arboreal species that you want to try to witness and see if they'll naturally lay in this type of an uh it, uh you know kind of like object but again 21 inches tall i think it's like 12 inches round um and it has two entry holes three entry holes one on the top so you can pack it full of dirt uh and the tree monitors nest the same way they would as a nest bin it'll be packed to the brim um if you put it up higher it's going to obviously kind of retain the same ambient temperatures of whatever your enclosure is going to be um and and hopefully with this design, I'm able, I'm going to be able to experience natural egg laying behavior from my animals, and I want to see other people use these as well. I've already been contacted yeah. by multiple people in zoos that want to try out this project because they've been waiting for two years of me developing it to like perfect it. You know, I'm like I've been this is my like my baby right here that I've been working every day's been working towards this right here. You know, that's incredible. Yeah. And again, for those listening, it's, he, he's showing us a a 21 inch tall basically the same thing i just described but it's a oblong beach ball sized fake nest it's it's incredible absolutely yes awesome. that so that that's one of the projects i like, kind of like was the leading motion for bioactive works and from there i develop other little objects like uh i have i'm, I'm pretty much known for my my feeder ledges which are in a a, a, a a tool that I developed to help me feed my tree monitors and see what they're eating. Because the biggest thing with these animals is that like, because they're arboreal, I don't want to just throw crickets in there and not know where my crickets are. I can throw in a hundred right. crickets and then 99 of them are going to be in my house. You know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be in a cage and the animals aren't yeah. going to eat them. 
And so yeah. I developed this so that I can put deli cups inside of them. And I have my deli cups here, I'll show you. But um, I'm able to, with these, these things have like a, a fixture that you can plug them up to any sort of wall or branch or anything like that. And then you're able to use deli cups. So then I can feed crickets in the long one. The crickets can't jump out of the long one or I can do a short one and I can feed them uh, worms, dubious, mm -hmm. or even water. Uh, and so this, this tool is more so developed so that I can feed and give my animals water without having to worry about, are they eating? Are they, are they getting the nutrients they need? And I can keep track of what's going on in their, you know, in their kind of like micro environments, you know, the best way I can. Um, other awesome. objects that I, yeah, other objects I recently released out the, um, the hide. And this has been like one of my favorite things to develop, kind of similar inspired from the tree monitor, uh, termite mounds. But this is just a, a like a, a, a hide. I use this and uh, every single tree monitor now has it. Uh, and since introducing these, they use this as a place to sleep. They'll go inside. I can literally show you that most of them are inside of their hides right now at the nighttime. They'll go in there and retreat and lay and like just chill. And that's kind of what we're doing, man. You know, I'm pushing the boundaries. It's uh, what's available to us keepers because I mean, yeah. for so long, you look at the same thing. It's like, cork bark this, bamboo this. There's no one really doing like really naturalistic looking, easy to use, easy to clean products. Mm -hmm. And I'm over here trying to carve my way in that market, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, and there's that, like off the top of my head, I mean, there's there's a ton of species outside of tree monitors that would use the hell out of those things. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I have people that use the, the, the feeder dishes to feed uh, lace monitors, to feed, uh, they feed them salads to their, to their uh, uh, vegetarian animals that I've, people use them for sugar gliders to give them water. Like these products are versatile, man. And I had someone contact me earlier saying that, dude, that would be the perfect nest for a bird. You know, yeah. I'm like, well, I mean, I mean, think about that. A bird would definitely nest in that. Why not? You know? So yeah. the, I'm right now I'm using my platform to spread it out to my community, but my goal is to get it outreach of different people. And so far I've been, I'm in, I've, I've been to my products are in Japan. They're in Germany. They're in France. They're in Sweden. They're in, uh, they're in Spain. They're all over the U S like it's growing here in Canada. I'm in Hawaii. Like uh, I have products all over. I have people in Australia right now contacting me that they want some of my stuff. So it's growing slowly. And, and, and the, the support from the community has been super amazing. You know, that's awesome. And just going back to that, uh, you had mentioned that the the honeycomb Swiss cheese appearance is aesthetics. I noticed on the hide, you can see light coming through it. Was right. is that yeah, done yeah. In, on purpose to kind of like yeah. make a diffuser? Okay, cool. It's it's done it's done in purpose to help. It's more so a barrier for them, you know, so that they can also be like protected from uh, like my visuals, you know. Not yeah, they can see you, but you can't scary. see them, kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. So it kind of helps with that sort of like comfort, you know. Um, that way, if I'm coming in to get them, they're not startled. There's just a hand inside of the cage. Yeah. Uh, it also benefits when like I'm misting. They're not just completely like sealed inside this area and not able to get humidity. This exposes them a little bit more. So maybe if one animal is more comfortable drinking inside the hide, it's still able to drink water yeah. due to the misting system and everything like that. Um, and aesthetically, yeah, it just, it's, it, it's, it's, again, I built it more for aesthetics, but there's so many different benefits for it. Sure, like sure. I, I, it derived from like this, this is the original model for kind of like the entire, like, you know, structure. And this is a, this is a plant holder that I make. And, and so this is so like, if you have a, a cage that's bare that you don't have anywhere to put a pot or anything like that, um, this has a flat back with a mounting system. 
but the holes here help aid in draining. So you don't yeah. overwater your plants. You aeration too. Yeah. Exactly. It does, and it air, exactly aeration, draining, and it just helps everything breathe a little bit better from the plant. So, I, awesome. and then so I took I took that idea and posted it into the into the kit in the hides, and the hides look badass, but they also they also work very well for what they yeah. do. You know. Yeah, and I notice you have you have different colors. You have blue, like a, a tan color. Have yeah. you noticed a a preference or different reactions to different colors or no? Everyone likes the natural colors for the most part. They're, oh. They want because most people like to do. Oh, well, you're talking about I'm at the lizard. Yeah, I'm at the lizard. Oh, yeah. both. That's a good yeah, question. Yeah, both. Why not? <laughs> I, I would say I would say from the animals, the brighter colors scare them more than the neutral mm -hmm. colors. Okay. So, so, so I noticed when I put in one of my hides, the blue hides I showed earlier, when I put that, introduced that into a cage, my animals, one of my animals was a lot more hesitant to use that, right? And so when I put it in another cage, the animals weren't hesitant. They went inside it immediately. They were like, oh, it's a, it's a place to hide. Fine, no problem. When I put a green one inside of there, a more neutral color, it then went inside of there. It had no problem going inside there. It wasn't afraid of it or anything like that. It might have been just from like how intense some of the colors might be sure. that might scare off certain animals. Um, it's also probably as you got to think, blue is like one of the most rarest colors that you'll find yeah. in the natural world. Oh yeah. So maybe for some animals to see something that intense might have scared them. Um, but no, I, I actually like to use certain colors, like bright colors. Like for example, uh, when training animals to eat, I'll use a color like this neon yellow, right? Or I'll use a, a, a white color. And these colors in the animals will associate with like, oh, if I go to this ring, this is most likely food. And so when I have a ring like this in their color, I'm able to train them like, hey, this is the color that you're going to associate with when I'm going to feed you. And they associate that well. So whenever I move that into a certain spot and put one of these like bright colored ones, they'll know that that's going to be a feeding spot for them, you know? So... That's one of the things that I did observe using the, the brighter colors that I introduced for a little bit. Um, but with the hides, not so much. In terms of what customers like or, or, or people that like them, the, the, the more natural color tones are, are what people usually go. The greens, the browns, yeah. those type of color. I make them in glow in the dark as well. People like that. I have, I've had people also like request certain colors like purples and pinks. And I can make the sky's the limit for availability of yeah. what, you, what you want, you know? Mm -hmm. Super cool, man. Super cool. So how many, how many 3D printers are you working with then? I own a, a print studio with eight printers right now. Oh, so wow. I'm able to, yeah, so I, I own eight machines personally that I'm able to like, because I the, the, the bioactive works is like a side thing, you know? It's like, it's mm -hmm. it's something I developed because I got into the animals and everything like that. So a lot of like 3D design for clients and 3D modeling for clients, architectural uh, prototyping of designs and stuff like that is what I use those for, you know, to get business out from those. Um, and I just happenstance to have the printers to help me utilize them to make products for Bioactive Works, which I'm trying to grow. Um, but we just invested in a kiln as well. So nice. we're trying to go the route of making these products in the ceramic form because mm -hmm. I want something that maybe can hold heat a little bit better. Not saying that the plastic doesn't do a great job, but I think something that's a little bit more heftier, something made out of ceramic or porcelain, might just do a little bit better of heat retention yeah, uh, and draining, you know, or holding humidity better than something like a plastic. So that's the next endeavor that we're going into is messing around with plastic, with, with, with ceramics and porcelain and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's actually funny that you mentioned that I was going to ask you, so 
it's not that popular in the United States, but in both Europe and Asia, in the in the terrestrial gecko world, they make these terracotta hides that are basically yeah. a, a rectangle and on top have a basin for water. So what you do oh. is you you fill the top of the hide with water like a yeah. water bowl, and then yeah, it yeah, slowly yeah. permeates. Yeah, yeah exactly. it, it, it and then it makes dew on the inside of the terracotta, and then the That's geckos cool. lick it off. I didn't know if you you would maybe even make some kind of lid or topper, maybe yeah. sold separately or whatever that you could do to to have dew inside. I mean, just ideas. Yeah, no, and then that's kind of why I want like, and the idea for that came about because my girlfriend got a cool self-watering terracotta pot, and the way it works is like the outside is a glass bowl, you fill water, and it has a terracotta pot that you put inside that sits inside the water, and so the way it works is that the water seeps into the terracotta and then waters a plant. And I'm like, I was like, whoa, dude, that's that's cool as hell. Like, yeah. maybe if I develop my hides like that, then I can get the similar action from you know, watering them, mist them and everything like that to keep humidity up and everything like that. Like, ultimately, what I would love to do with, like, the arboreal nest nest project is to go for full term, like, from laying to hatching eggs all in that enclosure. And mm-hmm. if I could do something like that, that would be freaking cool, honestly, you know? That'd How do awesome. you mount those? There, There's a two bolts in the back. So, like, it has two mounting holes in the back. Like, similar to – I don't know if you guys are going to be able to see these, but uh, similar to this, it has – it has where are they? Where, I, 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 this one right here, but that's like it's a mounting hole right here. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. you see here. Yeah. So the so them. the other ones the, the other ones are similar to that. Um, that's what I have them right now, but I'm working on different iterations. Like what I really want to do with that project is to make it like a French cleat style, where you have like a pocket cleat everywhere, wherever you want in a cage. That way you can move it from like section to section in the mm-hmm. cage freely. You know, that's that's, cool. that's what I would love to do with that. I'm just figuring out. What's the best way to do that without it being too expensive and easy to make and everything right. like that, you know? Yeah, you could do like a a, a, a trapezoid shaped yeah. Dove, yeah, dovetail exactly. and then the, the, the actual hide like locks onto that dovetail. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's what I've been working on right now. And, and right now I think it's going to be like a second piece that you have to attach to it versus it being made all at one. But uh, we, I've, been, I've been prototyping designs just like that, you know? It's like, it's, it's limiting because... You're working with plastics, so you know you, if they can only hold so much weight, and you got to figure when these things are packed up with weight, they're weighing a ton. And then oh yeah. Also, not not just the plastic. The plastic is strong enough, but then sometimes some of the branches you're using or the screws you're using aren't that strong. So there's so many factors that go into play with mm-hmm. that. I'm also working like on, a, on an option of these uh, termite mounds that have like um, a, a pole base. So there's almost like it's like it can hold a rod on the bottom. So that it's stabilized by a pole on the bottom of the floor so it stands up still. And then you can like still mount it to the wall and everything like that. But then that way it's balanced out right. with all the weights being carried by the pole on the bottom. Yeah, like a just skeletal structure. Ideas. Yeah, kind of deal. It's like it's, I'm just working with different ideas to one sticks completely. And I just want to make sure that I'm, I'm providing a, a perfect product. Because sure. I, w- I would love to see these in zoos across America and, and those hatching out animals or, lay, or a- animals laying inside of them to prove my theories, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it'd be you, awesome uh, too if you had like a like a magnetic back that attached to the outside. So like when you have things like tree monitors laying, instead of having to pull it out and you know look through it, be able to just sort of pop it off and see if there's any any action there. At so least these, with snakes these too. Have, these actually have a, a, a the the one model that I created has a twist off top, mm-hmm. so you're able to put them on and twist them off. But you have to have a little port, like you said, would probably be cool. That way you can like 
maybe maybe even have like a piece of film on it so that all the dirt doesn't come out, but you can see, hey, like, what's up? Did you lay right. here? Something like that. Yeah. yeah, something like that would be cool for sure. Yeah, have you worked with three uh, D printing metal at all or no? It's too expensive, but uh, I, I know. I, yeah, oh, yeah. A, you can three D print titanium and aluminum right now. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I work in the bike industry. Uh, that's like what I've, I've done for like the majority of my life, and so seeing that technology come through, I've definitely been interested in and, and been on like on on like looking at the you know what what where that technology is going and as soon as it's able to like i can afford it believe me i will right now a machine like that's like a, a million dollars for a machine that can 3d print metal <laughs> fair enough i don't got that type of money <laughs> i get it man i get it that's still cool man that's awesome yeah like currently so like in my my jansen i enclosure i have just a like a five or six quart box with a hole cut in the lid and it's just packed with spag and that's like a lay box slash humid hide and yeah. in order to check to see if there's anything in it i have to take it out take the lid off dig through it and then put it back and that's where the you know sort of thinking about the ability to just pop something off the front and look into it you know because i use spag when it comes to like lay boxes and stuff so i don't have to necessarily yeah. dig through dirt and and things like that um but to be able to just pop it off and look and then be like, okay, cool. And sort of keep going and not have to disturb any of that. And, you know, I don't know. that's a good idea, man. Because one of the things that the, the bigger breed of the tree monitors they've discussed, I've, I've read in a lot of the comments is that like tree monitors aren't dumb. You know, a lot of us, a lot of us keepers, we tend to get really antsy and, and very excited when we know an animal's going to lay and we go and check that lay box every day, every other day to see if there's eggs. And every time you do that, you're kind of reinstating to the animal, hey, maybe this isn't a safe place for me to right. lay eggs because because these big guys come in here and check it out mm -hmm. every time I, I go in there, you know, like, and, and to prevent that, that ideology or that connection with the tree monitors, something like you said, that's easy to see without disturbing them might benefit them a lot more, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we used to uh, mess with the one-way glass. For oh, some of the cool. Cordilla species, so like if you had like an underground burrow or um, a man-made underground burrow, on the outside, you can see in with like a red light or whatever, a little red LED light. But on the inside, yeah. the lizard just sees tinted glass. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That's cool. I would, yeah. I want to, I want to do film. I want to do tinted film on this to give make them more secure. That might be a good. That, yeah, that and, one and like, mirror thing might be good. Cool. And we we didn't do it on the entire enclosure simply because. We still wanted them to see us and, and become comfortable with us and stuff like that. But in the privacy of their burrow right. where, you know, we would never physically be able to go in there. You know what right, I mean? Right, right, right. There's no reason for them to have to see us. And we could really get that nesting or that burrowing behavior as much as we could. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really cool. <clears throat> so what's the next step? No, I was saying with, with Bioactive Works. Oh, the next thing? I got a couple different husbandry ideas that I've been working on and everything like that. At the moment, I'm just trying to, like, get my name out there with it because it's a newer brand that's, you know, it's it's new to the scene. I'm only now sure. producing stuff that more people are getting their hands on. Um, so I, I want to get customer feedback on a lot of my products that I make. Like, as of right now, like, I make sure that every item before I present it out to the public, it's at least tested for like three to four months where someone has, or I use it and I make sure it works and there's no issues. All the keys are out of it. Um, and then I promote it on the website for sale and everything like that. Um, so I just want to get my, my product in more hands 
so people can see what it's like having this ad- object and see the experiences that they have with their animals so that I can like just better tweak it, like to make sure like, hey, maybe my hole should be like this big instead of like that big, or maybe I should do bigger viewing holes versus smaller ones, or maybe I should do smaller ones, or maybe these colors work better or this material is better. So I want to do more, I want to be more present in shows for sure, because that's the biggest thing is, is getting into shows and, and being a face and promoting that stuff face to face. Like I've been trying so hard to get into Tinley for the past three years, but that wait list is so crazy so that I can bend and talk to people and everything like that. But slowly but surely, man, I'm going to try to get my name out there more, get more of these products out more, get hopefully get them on more talks to kind of like share what I'm doing with these projects and yeah. and seeing if people take interest in them, you know, and, and, and go from there, man. Honestly, like right now I'm working with tree monitors, but I got people that give me ideas for tortoises that give me ideas for, 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 for hots, for like, yeah. for even, for even um dart frogs and even inverts, like, you know, like, like spiders and stuff like that. So the, the, my my brain is always running through you know with ideas and stuff that I'm making and I'm developing so much stuff in the background, but I'm just making sure that I have like the audience and I have enough of a good like like leaping point so I can show those things off so that people can be interested in them. You know? Hell yeah! That we was gotta... something with dart frogs that I always wanted and I had an idea for it and it was like a 3D printed pill sort of shape that was you know I don't know five inches different sizes that was sort of porphyrated, but you put, you know, fruit fly media or something in it and basically have something to where you can, if you have to leave for, you know, a couple of days, you have something that more or less is like a slow release for fruit flies. Yeah. That the frogs yeah. can't necessarily get to, but the fruit flies will kind of come out on their own. And so I don't know. That's, that was something that I thought would be really useful, but because there's, there's... I, I don't have the technical ability to, to do these things, I just have the idea, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, yeah, there's someone that recently released something very similar to that. I don't know if you've seen it in the dark ride. And I, I follow all the pages because I want to be like immersed in like the different tech that different people are working on. And someone, I believe he's like in Canada, came up with like it looks almost like a like a gem. Uh, and it, it, same way, it like it's closed and he puts fruit flies. He puts a like a handful of fruit flies inside of him. He closes it and he opens it, and then the fruit flies come out of these tiny little holes that are mm-hmm. on the top of them. And they'll feed all their animals. It's not slow release. It's like immediate release. But it, it gives them like a certain point where the fruit flies walk out and they just walk on the little platform and then mm-hmm. the frogs come and eat them all, you know. I thought that was really neat seeing that guy innovate in that sort of realm, you know. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. The um, I don't know how dense or how porous your plastic is, but have you thought about like I don't know about dyeing them. Like you make the khaki color. Cause I know yeah. like in, in my industry, there's a lot of plastic parts and what guys will do is they'll take fabric dyes, they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. boil water. And then obviously you'll be careful not to melt the plastic, but they'll, right. they'll make like almost camouflage patterns with vinyl where they, they basically have vinyl stickers or whatever. They roll it in the, in the fabric dye and they take it out. They peel away whatever vinyl stickers or decals they have on there. And now they have like almost like camouflage patterns and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, cool. I, I mean, like they got marble camouflage Crocs, you know, so I didn't know if that yeah. was something, something you could look into there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I, I always suggest anybody to be creative with this stuff, you know? And like, yeah. I got people that buy these, these, uh, a lot of these highs and stuff like that. And they'll do like silicone with like moss on the outside to make them look a little bit more realistic. I don't do it because I have access to so many different colors yeah. Really, I have every color of the rainbow. So if you want it a certain shade, I'll just make it out of whatever color you want, you know? So for the most part, and 
So I don't really deal with the diet, but I, I always, you know, I always say do whatever you need to do to make that stuff useful for your cages and your enclosures and everything like that for the most part, you know? Very cool. And then I saw yeah. you had on one of the ones you held up to the screen, I saw the two little pilot holes for one of your feeding rings to, it looks like oh, the whole yeah. gondola. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's, that's the cool thing. That's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is the, uh, yeah, you saw, it's, it's in the front of it right there. Uh, and, and that mount uh, goes with a corresponding holder. And basically, uh, there's two recessed nuts in the back that will hold this in place. Uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a plant holder plus a feeding dish, you know? So it's two in one. It looks the same and everything like that. And it just kills two birds with one stone, you know? You figure yeah. an animal will go there and chill and want to dig or something like that, but also has access to food and water. And, and just being innovative like that. I, there's another hide that I made before the new hide I had, which is a canopy hide, that also had one incorporated in the front of the cage. So in front of the hide, there was like a little bowl in front of it so that the animals would associate, oh, food, water, shelter, all in one place, just to make them like more comfortable and established faster, sure, especially man. for imports and everything like that, you know? Did Hell you yeah. find that to be sort of the biggest hurdle with the, with the blues in particular with imports was sort of getting them to chill out a little bit and realize that they can in fact come out of logs and live yeah yeah so i have always been a big component of not using a lot of hides in my in my enclosures and i've gotten a lot of flat from this from a lot of people uh, and so what i'm going to say right now first off is my own experience or my own thoughts and my own kind of like like kind of you know what i think about this sort of technique and your I don't personal say, experience you need to try exactly right and so I've always been a component of like less hides is better for fresh imports because from my experience working with imports, when you give an import too many hides, the first thing it's going to do is, is find a safe place and stay there because everything outside of that hide is dangerous is what they're going to associate life with. And I've had tree monitors where you give them all the cork bark in the world and you never see them. They're never out. They're just hiding all the time. They never come out to bass. They never come out to drink. They never come out to eat. And they just deteriorate so fast. You have this perfectly healthy fat monitor that will just become bone skinny because it's so afraid of everything. Um, so seeing that, I've been more on the realm of like, until animals established and I know it eats and I know it drinks and I know it bats, I won't introduce a hide until I've seen those actions from those animals. And so by kind of forcing it to see me, it, it, it kind of builds a level of like, okay, familiarity with the animal. It knows it associates me with food and water and not danger. Uh, but yeah. I also, I, I give them some sort of hide in the fact of like, I give them very large branches or very large log pieces. And so if an animal wants to hide, it can just go behind the hide and it can't see me, you know? And so exactly, and that's a form of hide. And so no matter what, there's always ample opportunities for it to hide itself visibly from me. And so I feel as though that's ample enough protection in that case so that it has that quote-unquote hide mm -hmm. um, and for the most part it allows me to have animals that i get to see more you know my animals are out more i can see them bass i can see them eat i can see them forage i can see them climb all over the place and i don't have an animal that's like you know gives me that quote-unquote like you know empty cage syndrome you know where you have animals mm -hmm. hiding all the time so and that's been successful for me doing that i haven't lost a tree monitor doing this technique my animals I mean, I, I don't know what the measure of stress is in the animal, but they don't seem stressed enough that they're like, because they're eating, they're, 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 
living and thriving in the natural way that I would assume that I can best gauge. And, and that works for me. Other people pack them full of hides and that's fine. I'm sure if you went with a captive bred animal, it would work fine. But I'm always going to be on a component of like less hides at the beginning, introduce hides later, you know, for the most part. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's really, really smart. Because I would also think that having that like shift to the back of the branch or something would be a much more natural instinct exactly. for them anyways. Because instead of like, anytime I see something move that I'm not familiar with, go hide, like survival yeah. wise, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So if you can just sort of yeah. shift to the other side of the branch yeah, and yeah. it still does the same job, you know. I'm sure Papua New Guinea doesn't have like wild cork branches all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So you had mentioned the uh, uh, just going back to the hides again. You'd mentioned that you have you're working on a termite style hide that has almost like a support beam in it. Have you looked at doing any like independent floor termite mounds? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I have a, a friend of mine, Brian, contacted me recently to try to develop something for uh, lace monitors nice. because lace monitors are completely known for digging up, you know. Uh, terrestrial termite mounds and laying their eggs inside of there. Like that's documented. That's known that that's what they do in the wild. Um, so he's, he's, he's asked me to develop something like that. And I'm in the realms of doing stuff, but for, you know, you got to think the bigger the monitor, you got to make a bigger high. Oh, yes. The cost that comes in, I think in those cases is usually cost prohibitive for people. Like, because, you know, like once you get to those big hides, yeah, costs just are, 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 are you know, great for sure you know and sure. most people are not going to want to pay five six hundred dollars for something that their lizard could just lay in when a bin works just yeah grow, you know <laughs> yeah so yeah, that's, that's been a dile- that's a de- dilemma in developing those projects right there yeah when, you, when your hide is five feet tall it's it's hefty yeah, <laughs> yeah how do you ship that to california when you're in new york you know <laughs> yeah exactly well, wouldn't, would that be something you'd have to print sort of in sections anyways like I don't yeah. even know yeah. how big are the biggest 3D printers now. Like the technology yeah. there is just it's moved so fast. It's it's unbelievable to see what people There are, are machines there are machines that can print them all in one piece. There are there yeah. are big enough that wow. they can do that in one piece. I don't have I don't have those machines. I can definitely make it though. I can make if, if not like it in pieces and then conjoin it, I can make the molds that I can just make it out of some other mm-hmm. material all in one piece, you know. Um so I have the technology to do what these people need it's always just cost prohibitive because like, even if I were to make one in materials alone, I'm probably spending like two, $300 to make something like that. And then you still have to figure out how the hell to get it to you. You know? Yeah. So yeah. Is yeah. it worth it at some point? Unless you really want that. I don't know. I don't know. You know? Still super cool. Super yeah, cool. Yeah. Pushing the boundaries and that stuff. Like what I really want to have, like the ultimate lay box, I want to have like it heated to be able to be heated so that I can control the heat temperatures and not just rely on ambient temperatures, sure. uh, have sensors inside of it and everything like that and be lifted. Like I, like I kind of mentioned, but that's still in development. So we'll see where we, where we end up in, in, in a year or so. Awesome. I would think that would awesome. be fairly, fairly easy with some, um, heat cord or something attached to a yeah. stat and just kept it, kept it low. You know, that's what I'm working low. on. right. Uh, that's what I've been working on. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost like a fake empty, inside where the heat tape can like lay inside oh, okay. and like the false cover and then, exactly and then you put mm-hmm. the dirt inside of it and everything so it's, it's mm-hmm. away from all the other stuff yeah that's cool mm-hmm. that's very cool 
Yeah, going going all the way back to to heat cord, man. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I had to I had to we'll buy never use that, that. <laughs> for that damn uh that camera rack I have. I had to buy oh, yeah? 50 feet of it and it barely well, even did the job. I, I had a uh one time I had a surge protector crap out on me and it fried Ooh. like three or four heat mats. So I was like, man, what am I going to do? And I couldn't, nobody had heat mats. And I'm like, I'm buying these crappy stick on ones. Right. And I had heat cord from like 25 years ago. And I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to coil it up like a cinnamon bun and I'll, <laughs> and I'll, I'll metallic tape it to the metal shelf. And it, it worked. It worked. Oh, it worked awesome. fine. That's you know, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that to people with, you know, a turtle and a 10 gallon, but, <laughs> but yeah, it definitely worked. So. Yeah, um, I had to use it for that camber rack that's like seven feet tall and has the hollow core PVC in it. Yeah. And I don't know. It did not. I had to like crank it really warm just to get the, the warm end of the, the tubs. Because, I mean, A, the you have the PVC it has to penetrate and then the cambro tubs themselves, which are also super dense, pretty thick. Yeah. So I'd have to I'd have to crank it almost to triple digits just to get into that, you know, mid 80s in the, the warm end so i at some point i just turned it off and was like whatever ambient is what it'll be so yeah yeah spent all that time and effort trying to get that cambo rack how it how it was built and uh it just didn't didn't pan out that's what we do man trial and error right i hate that rack <laughs> i love cambro toes but i hate that rack oh man so you'd mentioned having basking sites of a particular temperature but do you do anything to alter the overall climate of the room like the ambient temps or are the lighting and fixtures in each enclosure sufficient for each enclosure so i've developed multiple ways of achieving the ambience that i want and you got to figure like my stuff works for me because i got i tested out in this room and not every room is going to be the same in that sure. manner but in this, since I'm in a basement, it tends to stay a little bit more cooler versus the rest of the house and everything like that. And so I had to create measures to make sure that I have all my ambience good, especially with these taller cages. It's usually very hard to heat the bottom portion of the enclosure yeah. to get those in, the, in a very safe, regulated temperature. So I use three heating lamps per cage at the moment. Um, and I, I kind of developed a like, it's a system that's been around forever, but I've been working and trying to like perfect my system. So it's like waterproof, safe to use, stable enough for the animals so they don't hurt themselves. And it's pretty much a hanging dome that I created. And I'll see if I can like, if yeah. I can like uh, spin over here so you guys can see this. Um, uh, but uh, let me see if I can like get it in here a little bit more. And you get, oh, this is a good opportunity. You can see one of my tree monitors actually do, using it. Um, but Let's see if you can see. I don't know if you can see that oh, yeah. right there. Yeah. So it's it's basking and that thing up there hanging up it. It's a it's a terracotta pot that I that I made an entire ceramic fixture in the inside. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a heating lamp. There's an entire heating lamp just similar to what's at the top, That's and it's a on idea. a it's a PVC conduit, so it's stable, so it doesn't move, and everything's silicone in place, so it's waterproof. So no matter how much I, I throw at it water, it's fine. The the terracotta pot also helps with keeping and retaining that heat and releasing it slowly. Yeah, radiant. Yeah. Yeah. And that terracotta pot doesn't get over 100 degrees. And the animals bask at about 110, 120. So it's a safe, really nice location for them to get warm, radiate the middle of the enclosure, but also give them a basking place at the bottom. And not only does it give them a basking place at the bottom, since I'm heavy misting, 
that dirt now dries up from that adhesive oh, yeah. creates more humidity in the in the cage. So it's like a triple whammy of what that one mm -hmm. thing does. And you can see the tree monitors is down there basking and uses that area to bask. And that's the cool thing that I get to experience with these with these animals. But every single enclosure has three, it has two basking pots at the top. And that that right there allows me to keep the entire like like temperature zones regulated. Where I have low 70s, low, low to mid 70s at the bottom, except for that basking point, which is about like 90 and 100. Uh, the middle range stays at around 75, like mid higher 70s. Top range stays at around like 80, uh, mid 80s and everything like that, except for the basking zones. And they have vents and everything in there to exchange air, as well as the misting and everything. So they have a perfectly balanced system to give them everything they need where they utilize the entire cage. And it's just from trial and error. It took me many years to figure out how to create a system like this, but I, I kind of feel like I'm dialing it in slowly and it's working yeah. really well. And I'm Hell seeing yeah. stuff like this. I'm seeing stuff like a tree monitor basking at the bottom, which a lot of people won't say that they've seen that before because the tree monitors are usually up high, you know, so. That's incredible. I would have never thought of that. That terracotta pot, that's brilliant. Absolutely yeah, brilliant. If, if, if you see my Instagram, I, I have a video where I show people how to make one themselves. Uh, so if you guys are ever interested in, 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 uh, in wanting to see that, I show it in depth, like what it does, how it works. Um, like I don't show the wiring part because I hope most people know how to wire up their own. Like, sure, sure. And like that. I don't want to be responsible for someone blowing up their house. Sorry yeah, about that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I show you how to make, I show you how to make the fixture and then you do what you want for electro electricals and everything like that. But everything I was able to find in my hardware store, uh, the original version I made a year ago was just like, I took a regular basking dome that you get from Petco and I just it put extension cord and I let it hang and that will burn out so fast from the water and bugs mm -hmm. inside of it where I needed to find something to seal it and doing this method where it's like, it's literally like a, 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 a fixture, you, a ceramic fixture you use in your house with an insulating base and then the terracotta pot around it and all the, the conduit fittings that you can buy at your local hardware store to keep everything in place and holding in place, you know? And it's bolted to the ceiling so it's stable. So no matter how hard the tree monitors jump around on it, they'll never knock it down, you know? That's awesome. I would have never thought of that. That's brilliant, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah took, took, again, just experimenting with the tree monitors to like develop little things to make sure that I can get my parameters right. Like my goal with this is like, I want to do all the footwork and everything like that and, and experience all this, like the trials and errors of working with these guys so that when, you know, if I ever wanted to write a book about this or, or share this information with the younger generation, they'll have a wealth of knowledge for me. Like Hell I'm yeah. so against, I'm so against like gatekeeping in this community because it's happened to me with keeping tree monitors at the beginning. And I want to be a resource for what, if any questions anybody has on these animals and like any particular things that they just don't know what's going on hopefully i can be some form of help for them you know and I, i'm public about everything i do you can see my instagram aside from the design of my 3d printed stuff everything i do with the animals every time i come up with something new even how i build them my cages i'm super vocal of all that stuff that i do that's awesome that's really oh, cool i mean yeah and it helps i think more than maybe people realize because i mean even talking now like me being more of a snake guy, like I see those kinds of things and like can see where I can apply them to the stuff that I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like we can adapt so much and adopt so much from, from other corners of the hobby. You know, it's exactly it's wild. Yeah, man. It's awesome. <clears throat> Absolutely awesome. Now I know you, uh, you 
have the laptop set up and everything. Is there a way that we could maybe see some more? Is it are you mobile enough? Oh to yeah, do this it is or? my phone. This is my phone, oh, man. Perfect. I have no problem. Like oh, yeah. I have no problem showing around and everything like yeah, that. What do you guys want to see? If you want whatever you want to show us, man, because that it's yeah. friggin' incredible. Uh, hopefully, let me, let me, hopefully people on, will uh, watch this after the fact. Let me see if I can. I don't know if I can like do okay. I'll just, I guess I'm just gonna have to do it this way or anything like that. But uh, yeah, this is, these are the uh, I'll show the other cages. These are the the last four cages that are being uh, finished up and everything like that. And you can see glasses inside of it. I'm just letting everything kind of like 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 gas off and stuff, so I can sure. introduce animals inside of here. Oh, uh, look at these the are gonna ferns. Some, oh. Yeah, these are going to be some of the cages for these are the final four cages, and you can see the difference. Hopefully, in size, where the big cages right here are the fourth. They're four foot, seven foot tall total, and you can see that they're lifted right here for the drainage and everything like that. Um, this is a four foot cage for the females. The males again have the three foot cages. Every single one has the same thing: two basking zones, all the different lighting and everything like that, and the, also the the mid-range bottom kind of like lighting system to help mm -hmm. like ease those up and everything like that. Um, inside here is a pair of tree monitors uh, that they'll eventually get split up and everything like that. And you can see that's a, that big one right there is a male with a female right here. So they're paired up awesome. and I'll go ahead and open this enclosure and give you guys like a, a quick little close-up view of these guys. Sure, sure, man. They're, these are not too flighty awesome. of animals. So they're, they're pretty chill. Um, but that's the inside enclosure of a tree monitor cage. Look, at uh, I don't know if you guys are chilling. Oh yeah. yeah, hanging out. Yeah, so this is that's a female right there in the front, and in the rear is a male. Uh, he's a big boy. He's one of my yeah. biggest males that I have. A giant male and everything like that. Uh, and for the most part, they're pretty chill. They they sometimes these these guys are a little bit more comfortable than other animals. The male yeah. kind of spooked out there and everything like that. But these guys are <laughs> a little bit more comfortable than other animals. Where she won't like dive away or anything like that. I try not to go scare her too much. You can imagine me talking so much and everything like that's probably scaring the hell out of them right now. Um, but here's a better view of the male. So you can kind of see how big this guy is and he'll oh, puffing yeah. up. Diesel. Yeah. Yeah, he's puffing up to let you know that he's like does doesn't want to be fucked up or anything like that. Um yeah, and every kid, like I said, has the same kind of method of a of a dirt bottom with a basking spot and everything like that. Oh, here's a cool one right here. You can see an actual female tree monitor using the nest. I'm going to try to open this up without scaring her out. But uh, and she's inside the hide right now. Chilling. I don't know if you guys can see that right there, but there's a tree monitor inside of there, inside that nest. I'm going to try to go inside there slowly without scaring yeah. her. Wow. Hanging out. Look, Look at that. Yeah. Look at those eyes. Oh. Yeah. She's in there chilling inside the nest. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they utilize the nest for sure. Uh, and there goes a male down there basking, uh, as we saw earlier and everything like that. So, uh, yeah, they're all, they're all different. They're pretty cool. They're, uh, like I said, these guys are pretty much uh, pretty beautiful animals. So that's two pairs. That's four. Um, this cage right here is cohabiting three animals, I believe, three females. And they're all over here in various stages of, of chill. Um, Again, here's another female inside her inside her nest. I don't know if you can see that right there, yeah. or anything like that. Oh, yeah. But she's mm -hmm. inside the nest, uh, and I think there might be another female in that nest with her. And then that's my male in the back, El Chapo, who is one of my. Uh, <laughs> he's my he's my favorite male. But yeah, that's El Chapo in the back right there. Uh, and again, yeah, these are some of my. I have some of my my planter holders right here, just waiting to get plants inside of them. Inside of them, these I have two of the 
of the cage holders, tons of natural climbing, perching, and everything like that. As you can see, I use these big old branches. So again, they can hide behind them and, and chill. And I pack full of my enclosures of, of branches to give them ability to climb. Even these tiny little baby branches, they'll use them to climb up and everything like that and get around different places of the cage. Um, awesome. I use deep I've used deep substrate inside my cages. Like each animal probably has access to about like six, six, seven inches of, of, of substrate so they can climb and use it as they need. Um, Is there a particular here, mix you're using for, for substrate? Yeah, I use my own mix of it's a topsoil, peat moss, and sand. Uh, okay. as well as like leave and bile kind of like matter. A lot of this dirt that I have has been like sitting around for like three years, kind of like building itself up and everything mm -hmm. like that. So it's a mix that I just spread out here and, I, and I'll supplement it with more topsoil and sand. Um, but here's an example of a female hiding behind a log. Like I said, if she ever wants to hide, she can just hide behind the log. You can see oh yeah, right look there. at that. Yeah. yeah, you see? So, so they have hiding abilities as well as they'll, they'll have a hide up there to use as well. Um, but yeah, man, I just tried to give them you know, as much space as I can to give them to see as much of these natural behaviors. Um, and right now they're all paired up because the last final four cages aren't finished. But once they are, they're all getting individually separated. Uh, and then the whole breeding cycle of like cooling them down, feeding them less, and then pumping that back up will start to see if we can get any type of reproduction behaviors in the next coming months here. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, man, this is, that's pretty much how we go. And I'll show you my room's a little bit on the dirty side, but I can show you how big the span is of the entire cage. Wow. Look at that. that. Yeah. That's of the awesome. entire room right here and everything like that. See, basements, awesome. basements are a foreign concept down here. I know. We don't <laughs> have them, man. I'm jealous. Where are you Super guys? Where are you guys at? Down in the southeast under below sea level, practically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah my, we uh... don't have basements because they flood. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> Oh, that's incredible, man. Absolutely. It's better than a zoo, man. I've seen zoos that are not as awesome as that. That's, that's funny, man. A lot of people tell me the same thing. <laughs> like, my, my basement looks like a zoo, man, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd get one out, but I just it's late, and I don't want to, like, Yeah, no, don't worry about that, man. That, you know? Dude, seeing that one female with the red eyes in that nest, man, that, like, oh, that's yeah. just killer, dude. That's killer. cool. That's a big, that's the favorite thing. It's, like, just to see that these animals are, are using those products and getting that comfort and safety out of them and they still interact in different ways like yeah that's one of the coolest feelings the first day i saw her using it i was like oh my god you just you just you know proved everything that I thought <laughs> it works like yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah the uh do they ever get um you know we see in in, in chondros and some uh in mambas they 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 fire up with these crazy blues and greens and yellows hormonally right do the blue trees do any sort of that? Do you notice like certain times of the year they fire up more or less? No, I've never seen that. I The only thing I've seen is a difference in coats, uh, depending on how you're keeping them. So like mm -hmm. a very dry, you, you can notice a difference between a dry monitor that's not hydrated and a very hydrated monitor. Like a very hydrated monitor has a very like shiny, very like even coat, whereas a, a high, unhydrated is very rough, very grainy. Like their, their coat kind of like, you can feel every little bump come out of their coat. So yeah. that's the difference that you see. But, that you know, it's obvious when you get, like, an import, you'll kind of notice that immediately. And then they'll fold back out, and they're, they're pretty, like, beautiful and everything like that. But it's a very – fresh sheds are the best because you get this iridescence on the top of them, which is beautiful to see. You get these bright blues. Um, I've had tree monitors 
It's funny you say that, actually. I had one tree monitor come in, and uh, I still have her. But when I first got her, she had a green back. She was all blue with a green back. And eventually, she just grew out of it. It's her, her coat turned all black and blue. There's no more green to be found. But it was one instance that she had that. But I've never seen them ever change different colors. Again, I'm working with a darker species of tree monitor as well. So who knows if the greens do it? I just haven't experienced it yet, you know? Yeah, yeah. One thing, actually, one thing I saw, Vanessa Crutchfield from the Crutchfield Farms posted a picture or, or, or a timeline of she had a, a breeder loan yellow tree monitor that she brought in and she keeps all her animals outdoors. Yep. And she had a picture of what it looked like when it was first brought into the animal in the house. And the whole, the muzzle of the animal was very muted, very white, very like not a lot of color to it. And within like two months, that animal changed. It was jet black face with green with like crazy yellow uh coloration wow. and it like it just changed completely its its color from being out in the natural sunlight mm-hmm. you know i wish i could mimic something like that here but being in new york city that's hard you know to do something yeah. obviously but i would love to see what these animals do and how they experience life outside compared to indoor tree monitors you know? sure sure are you with the UV that you're offering? I mean, do you have that on a timer? Or is it they getting that for it? They, they, it, it, it turns off, it's, it's on all day and then turns off at the end of okay. the day. I gotcha. Yeah, I've been Very trying to, cool. I've been experimenting with that with the with the black tailed rats. Um, like I've since they've been put into that black box cage, like it has UV and that UV has pretty much been on for you know the day until yeah. it lights out. But I've started to sort of experiment to see if I cut that off during the day. Cause I also use those wise cameras a lot. Right. Um, right. And be able to, you know, check on things either overnight with, with condors when I'm pairing stuff or like if I'm at work and I want to see what the Jansen and I are up to, like seeing if I notice any difference to where, if they have a day where there is no UV, if they're out more versus when the UV's on, if they come out more, you know, <clears throat> Yeah. so That's far cool. I haven't noticed a major difference, but man, those little, little wise cameras, they come in handy. Same with the, the Govi temperature sensors and stuff. Like, again, you know, the tech that we have access to now, it's only getting better. But yeah, to be able That's to like, hop on my phone and look and see what's going on in a certain cage, you know, with a camera that's, they're like $30 now, if that, you know, and the yeah, app is yeah. great. Um, yeah. It's just really cool to be able to go in there. And then I can even rewind and watch throughout the day, see if I noticed anything in particular that stood out. Uh, you know, I haven't noticed any major differences with the UV being off versus on. Uh, yeah. But I do, I think changing it up a little bit and not offering it every day, I think is kind of a, probably, probably a, a better thing for them long-term. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Do you, I saw, um, I saw, sorry about that. Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I saw that uh, a friend of mine uses Ryan McVeigh's his little LED UVB bulb mm-hmm. that he come out with. Mm-hmm. And he said when using those bulbs, that like the difference in the activity that his animals were having were like it was night and day i don't know what's in the light spectrum of those bulbs and what causes it but he said that he saw a dramatic change in them moving around and them using those led bulbs for basking even though they don't produce heat they right. were bas- they were like they were like you know showing the the the, the same kind of characteristics of basking with those bulbs mm-hmm. So I'm interested in trying them, but those things are like eighty dollars a piece, and I'm yeah. like, I just, yeah. you know, it's an expensive bowl to try out for sure. But that's oh, something yeah. I'm interested in trying out. I mean, our buddy Dr. Lofman sort of did his own little study with with 
you know, a couple of his false water covers or maybe his one individual in particular, but he had a UV with like a focused sort of beam and he would move that beam around and that false water cobra would go to that beam each, each day he moved it. It would go and sit under that beam, no matter where he put it, it would seek that Whoa. out and find it. So it's definitely something like with the, the Ganyasoma persinum that I just got from Matt, like that setup's going to have UV. Um, eventually when I have the, all the rhino rats sort of set up in their sort of final adult enclosures, I'd like to offer them UV as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I mean, with those, like when I talked to Matt about the, about the Jansen eye in particular, you know, he mentioned that he thinks that UV plays a big part in, in success with breeding those. So I got that added with that cage that, that I got for them and whether it's made a difference or not, I'm not sure. Um, but I have noticed, like, I don't see them much. So there are species that, that hides a lot, you know, I don't see them a ton, but I do notice that they will sort of keep their tail out of a hide or I'll see their head just sticking out. And I'm wondering if that's them sort of getting that UV. And then sure. as soon as I walk in the room, they disappear. Cause I've like, that's, that's something I have noticed in offering UV on a regular basis. Uh, you know, and I know people have talked about certain lizard species and stuff, sort of keeping a foot or a leg or something out from under a, under a hide during the day to, you know, nocturnal species um, in theory that that's them sort of getting some of that UV to metabolize whatever they need to metabolize yeah. kind of thing. So it's interesting to think about. Oh, Very yeah. cool. Do you, um do you increase or decrease the amount of UVB throughout the year or no? No, no, I keep it pretty constant okay. with the, with the uh, Arcadia bulbs. I replace them once a year for the most part. And I just, Keep them same distance. I, I just like for me. It, I, I've seen so many instances of monitors developing MBD when you don't give them that UVB source or, or calcium supplement in some way. Right. And so I just don't want to risk any sure. that sort of stuff. Sure. So I just use it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Is there Very any cool. ex, like extra supplementation you're doing as far as the feeders and stuff? I dust them. I dust them with calcium and multivitamins and everything like that. For mm -hmm. the most, I use like the Repticow brand, you know, and yep. it works for it works for me. And I dust a lot of their bugs for the most part. But like, if I were to feed like quail or or a mouse or something like that, which is rare, the mouse, I I, I don't dust those. I just right. give them straight up that, you know. That's cool, something man. I want to do experiment with too. Is I know like David Brahms has done it with chondro babies, uh, with like. Crested gecko diet, like the higher calcium, higher fat, uh, like black yeah. soldier fly larva type, dipping the like the ass end of pinkies into that, and then feeding it to chondros to kind of help boost those babies up a little bit. And that's something Whoa. I'm really interested did that in. Help? He thinks it did. I mean, it's it's purely anecdotal. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm really tempted to try it with with some corns and some other stuff just to see if you do notice a difference in terms of you know growth rates and in groups and stuff, but. Yeah, it's interesting to think point. about. I would think it, it can only help them. I mean, my, my yeah. only concern would be uh, more or less overdosing with certain, you know, vitamins and stuff when, especially yeah. when you're considering such a small animal and you're dealing with tiny kidneys and, you know, tiny livers and things like that. Um, yeah. Yeah, point. You know, that would be my only concern, but I mean, David did it with, with baby chondros and didn't have a single issue. So I don't know. Cause those are supposed to be like, uh, complete diets, you know, like where you, it has everything in the right ratios that things would need, but um, I guess, I mean, if you're using it with baby cresteds, though, then there's really, it doesn't get much smaller than that in terms of yeah 
Arkansas. Yeah, but but you're also talking about something that is not necessarily designed to eat plump vertebrates that early in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. Have you uh have you dabbled with any like the uh Asian food mart type stuff like frog legs or snails or anything like that? I haven't only because I don't want to like cause a risk of in, like parasites, internal parasites and everything mm-hmm. like sure. that, you know. I feel like so like crustaceans and frogs for those matter are just more prone to be able to to keep harbor that type of stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. Especially with New York where I have no idea a lot of these markets, you have no idea where the hell this stuff is coming from. Dude. Like, you know? and I, I believe don't it. Wanna, like, I don't Frog legs came from Central Park. You know, yeah, right, dude. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to risk that stuff, man. Honestly, I'm sure okay. they'll take to it very easy. What I really wanted to do was, is um, I, and I and I, I, I want to do this purely as like just scientific to see what happens. Is I wanted to breed my own group of like uh, a nose, green and nose. Mm-hmm. And introduce them into these colonies, or even morning geckos, and see if these guys will eat them in some way. You know, see if that's sure. something that they would maybe like. You know, see some type of natural instinct because those are animals that move in a manner that no bugs on them move. You know, yeah, see right. if that's something they're interested in, and if it was a diet that they can maybe metabolize a little bit easier versus pinkies and stuff. But I just never had the time to go around and breed mm-hmm. a nose. It's not something I really want to do right now. You know? Yeah, it'd yeah. be good mental stimuli too. You know, yeah, I could imagine gears going and having them sort of chase something down. Yeah, 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 exactly. Type of deal. Yeah, yeah, just to give them a diet that's varied because I'm sure at some point these guys get tired of grasshoppers, crickets, and doobie all the time. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Patrick. That's how I would do it too. Patrick said, split a corn group of hatchlings, do it with half and not the other half, and record the results. That's that's pretty much how yeah. I would do it if I was going to do it. Same with the with the the cutting thing that i'm so on board with but yeah because yeah, that that works like a million bucks i have right to say it. it does the cutting it just everyone everyone thought i was crazy I, you know it just it just it makes sense on paper but it's it is work and yes it's it's dumb work it takes you an extra five minutes to do it but having excuse me having certain species that are not predominantly rodent eaters and my lazy butt not wanting to feed them other things that are probably more appropriate do the cutting works man it just it just works you know and just watching the lump in half the time yep you know and not having any kind of regurge not having any fur in stool like it just works so at some point, I say this every year, but I, I swear at some point I'm going to do it. I'm going to recreate that study to the best of my ability. We got enough corns and, now, man. Well, if, the problem is I need like a fresh, I need a clean slate. Like I need, you know, I need a fresh batch of, of babies to do it. And they like the biggest problem. And the reason it hasn't happened is because that requires me to sit on a whole clutch of babies for an indefinite period of time, which it's not, not a, hard to do or you know a problem but when you're needing feeders and you're burning through them and stuff so fast it can be kind of oh yeah stressful but oh yeah it's gonna happen cool. eventually what are you talking about in terms of uh, like splitting what is that what do you what are you, what are you, what are you referring to justin i'll let you describe it so with your frozen thawed mice rats whatever 
there was a study done a couple years ago where someone took a group of corn snakes and they did like cuts with like a razor blade down the back. Um, and they split it up into different groups. So one group only got like a single cut. One group got two, one got, group got three, one group got four. And then they recorded the growth rates. And then they had a group that didn't get any. It was just, they got the pinky as is like no cuts, no modifications. Oh, to it at okay, all. Okay, okay, okay. And they found that um, the corns that got the, the four cut, like the growth rate difference was, was extremely noticeable. And it was, I, I caveat it and say, you know, it was a small sample size, but at the same time, like you see the results of that and it's, it's kind of hard to argue that there's not no. something there. So what, what, what was the reasoning behind it? Like what was the cutting them in the back doing was it just stimulating them more to want to eat more or was it released no, so early on from, um, from a, like a physiology standpoint, <clears throat> the skin is is a the biggest organ of the body and that's what the digestive system spends the most time trying to break down and get through to get to the things it needs inside oh so by making these cuts the system is not nearly not using nearly as much energy and resources to get through that and so i've noticed because i do it with pretty much everything now adults babies whatever um they're not they're not sitting with a you know a full meal for a you know a full week week and a half you know with babies like that lump is gone within inside of three days typically um it just makes it so much easier on their system and they're getting more of those nutrients and they're getting the things that they they will actually use because the skin they're not really going to get much out of um, right, right right but with those cuts like their digestive system gets right to the stuff it needs to and it's Whoa. not spending so much on on trying to get through the skin which was kind of the basis of the whole study in the first place because it was titled how big of a hindrance is skin and it talks about skin being the biggest hurdle that the system has to get through to get to what it needs so right, by cutting right. you know you're you're cutting through that literally and you know i've done it with a bunch of different species and i've done it with corns and like i said it takes two seconds to do you know per per mouse or rat or whatever and uh you know I, like i said i'm gonna i want to recreate that at some point and and see it makes uh, so much sense it yeah, does that's actually smart yeah it's one of those things where it's like you know it's like those stupid animal shaped rubber bands that kids wanted it's like i could have thought of that and i could have been a yeah, yeah. millionaire it's like so obvious it's like that makes complete sense so i don't know we'll see yeah i uh i got lazy and i was using an exacto knife and i That's was what like, i use and i was like having to hold it and cut it and i was like this is dumb and i found that if i take a cuticle scissors which has the rounded end to it i'm not i'm not puncturing anything i'm not really stabbing anything but i can use those cuticle scissors to just cut key pieces of, of skin and maybe some mesentery and you don't and, have to go deep like you don't yeah, have to like cut yeah. it in half or anything like yeah. that you're just literally yeah. scoring it like you would a hot dog and what i do now is actually instead of doing like four that are perpendicular to the spine i just follow the spine and just do one big cut oh, okay um and i, I don't think there's going to be any massive difference there in terms of results but sure sure you know, it's just a little it, faster it works, man. Instead of taking it two seconds, works. it takes one. Oh. Yeah. You know, and I, I had snakes that are predominantly not rodent feeders. And I had certain ones, if it was an overly fuzzy, like overly hairy rat, it would it would regurgitate. And mm -hmm. better yet, I would have massive clumps of white fur in the stool. And after the cuts, now there's no more fur in the stool. So, and no more regurge. So, it worked. Yeah. I think like my thing has been 
with species like chondros or alterna or things that are just harder to get going initially, like that would be a huge leg up, especially for like baby yeah. chondros where you're trying to get them off pinkies yeah. fairly quickly and get them onto something a little more substantial. Um, yeah. Females that are going into the breeding season or, you know, they're uh, on track to lay a clutch, like giving them more of a leg up to not have to work as hard and get more out of each meal. You know, I think it, I don't, I think it adds up, but like I said, it's all anecdotal, but I've done it enough to where I, I definitely notice a difference. The proof is in the pudding. And it takes us like experimenting, man, and working around these different, trying stuff that no one's tried before to figure this stuff out, man. That's really cool though. And I would, I, I'm definitely going to, I'm like, not thinking about it. Just like how much, you know, how much resources these animals probably take trying to digest that skin mm -hmm. to get to those proteins and everything they need. Or if you just cut that time in half for them, bro, that's just, yeah. dude, yeah. that makes so much sense. I'm going to start doing that from now on, man. Honestly, I never even wouldn't have thought of that before, but yeah. Yeah. It's, and that's one of those things like that paper came out and I remember like I heard about it initially from Joe Phelan when he was talking about it on from the ground up, you know, years ago. And I had him send me that paper. It's not available anymore for whatever reason. The author, I think, took it down or maybe the link just expired or something. I don't know. I saved it all before it disappeared, so I still have it. But um, he told me about it, and I remember like looking at it and reading it and being like, this makes complete sense. Like, Why is this not more popular? And it just completely like flew under the radar. And I've been doing it pretty much ever since. And like I said, I keep saying every year that I'm going to recreate it, uh, and it just it doesn't happen. So one day. Yeah. I'll yeah. stop being lazy. Cause you gotta like, the problem is it's not necessarily like the cutting and separating the groups. It's going through and weighing everybody, you know, and like shed cycles kind of throw things off. Cause I don't typically feed things that go into a shed cycle until they're done just because they do send, tend to take longer in terms of shedding and digesting. Um, so I, I don't know. It, it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. Yeah, and it's definitely got to be done with a species that is tried and true, very hardy, like corn snakes. Yeah, corns are be perfect, perfect. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to do it with something that's rare or something that's difficult to get going because your goal is just to get it going. You know what I mean? You, I don't your know. Goal I is think to get it established. And I think I with like chondros, though, man, like if if you get a group of chondros going, I think you to see differences there. I think you you'd notice because. Baby chondros grow pretty quick. Once you get them going, you get them eating. Yeah. They grow fast. Um, it would be interesting to see that mapped out on a chart because I did it with crested geckos for a long time. Like I, I got them eating dubia, and then I'd weigh them once a week. And the ones that started eating dubia, like the the chart just went like straight up growth weight oh, rise, wow. like weight wise, wow. compared to the ones that were just on diet. And it would like very slowly, gradually increase. Like the ones once you you see them hitting that dubious stage where they start going crazy on those things. It's like a 90 degree angle. So to be able to like plug that in, that's easy enough to do too. Cause you just record the weights, plug them into a spreadsheet, you know, Excel or something and then tell it to put it into like a line graph and you see it right there. Like you see the results immediately. Um, so it's not hard to do. It's just a matter of, of having the animals to do it and to, you know, yeah. yeah. Doing it. Well, gentlemen, we're at the two hour mark. Uh, Eddie, where can people find you? Oh, dude, yeah, I'm I'm available all through our Instagram. Uh, you can follow my page, Father Blue. It's Father Period Blue, uh, or my uh, my 3D print kind of design page is Bioactive Works. 
Um, I also have a website. It's bioactive.works. That's the website. You can, it'll take you to my um, page where you can see the products that I have available and everything like that. I'm on Facebook on all the tree monitor forums uh, as uh, Eduardo Garabito. If you want to find that, I, I'll probably hopefully link somewhere so you guys can like, I'll, I'll, I'll comment in chat so you guys can find me on Facebook if you guys want to friend request me there. But I'm on all the tree monitor pages and everything like that for the most part on, on Facebook. Always chatting it up. So if you guys ever have any questions or anything like that, please go into my DMs, ask me. I'm happy to talk about tree monitors. I love nerding out and sharing and learning from new people uh, the, as much as I can, to be quite honest, you know? Nice. Awesome. That's why we're all here. Yeah, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Facebook, Instagram, blackboxcages.com. Use code THN at checkout. Get a little bit shaved off the top. I love their stuff. Got the uh, male persimmon in a bio G now. Nice. Got some of these new crepe myrtle perches that I've been working on set up in there as like a test run. And uh, me and Jake got to get up there and pick up some stuff here soon. So check that out. And then Puget Sound Pythons. Jeff and Kendra, check them out as well. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram, all that good stuff. We will be back Thursday for Corn Stars. Uh, Chris managed to get Tony Dungara lined up, which is a pretty big deal because he's one of the one of the sort of the forefathers when it comes to corn snakes and all that stuff. So we're very excited about that. And um, then snakes and stogies again. So thanks, y'all. Rock and roll. Thank, Thank you again, you Eddie. No, of course, man. Thank you guys for having me, man. I really appreciate it. Awesome this show. This was super fun, dude. Yeah, fun podcast I've been in a minute, man. Definitely. Nice. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Glad to yeah. hear it. Appreciate it. Everybody have a good evening.